Hello, welcome to episode 38 of GBW. My name is Chris. With me as usual, and as always, is Josh. How's it going? Oh, good. <laughs> you seemed hesitant for a minute Well, there. I don't know. Were you confused? No, no, I knew what was going on. So anyway, <laughs> oh, great. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the drive-in. Let's and, all go to the lobby. Yeah, more specifically, we're going to talk about drive-in double features. Because we thought it'd be fun to just, you know, drive-ins were a big thing in my youth. I, not so much yours, Josh, but... No, and it's weird because I'm older than you. Yeah, but they were in mine, and we thought it'd be fun to come up with lists of features we would really like to see at a drive-in because, you know, I got inspired by seeing those uh, killer twins at the beginning of Blood Rage axing people to death at a drive-in that I wanted to do this topic, so. Yeah, I was I just was really picking movies that I thought would, yeah. Play would at the drive-in. Play, play well at a drive-in. These drive are movies you would, so like. They're not my favorite double features. No. Yeah. My real agenda was, I most of my movies are actually like pre-1990. All of mine are, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of went for when the drive-in would have been the most prevalent for me and the most important to me. Yeah. And I also kind of peppered in kind of something that I thought would go with the history of drive-ins. Oh, so, okay. So we'll hit up on that in a little bit, but let's uh, first kick off with our What Have You Been Watching segment of this fine program you're listening to this evening. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to do your car salesman. Yes, well, well, yes. I uh, can't wait to listen to this uh, part. Well, Josh, well, why don't you uh, start us off here and tell us one of the movies you have watched recently? Okay. After you're done having that probably disgusting Game of Thrones beer oh, over there. Oh, God. Is it nasty? It's all right. It's all right. Oh, God. If it's, you could see his face, you'd know it wasn't all it's right. It's just so dark. I don't yeah, like okay. dark beer. Oh, well, okay. I'm glad you didn't go further on that. But unfortunately, I forgot to go to the store, and uh, this is all I have. Okay, well, start us off. What have you watched here? What do we got? Well, my first selection for the night, Chris, is um, a movie called American Scream. Okay. So this is a documentary from 2012 that I've been wanting to watch for a while, and I just never got around to it. Um, this is directed by Michael Stevenson, yep. who directed Best Worst Movie. Which I really liked. And yeah, it was all right. Yeah, Best Worst Movie is the documentary about the, about Troll 2. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't think a movie like that probably deserves a full-length documentary. No. But, I remember we went to that, oh, speaking of double features. Yeah. We went to a double feature of Best Worst Movie and Troll 2. Yeah, they played the documentary first, and then they followed up with Troll 2. And, and Josh and I had a pretty good time during the documentary. Yeah. But then when Troll 2 started, we were kind of looking at each other throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And then at the end, uh, and still to this day, it boggles my mind how a movie like that has such a big cult following. Well, yeah, and I don't think either of us are really a fan of, like, per really terrible... Yeah, it's... it's like, ineptly terrible movies. yeah like it's like we were talking about the other day on the phone when i was saying like you know i always try and come out with a positive from everything i watch yeah but i don't purposely seek out inept terrible movies like i haven't seen the room no i haven't either because i just i don't want to purposely watch a movie that's just bad yeah. just for the sake of it being bad yeah, like, like I, I was, would never have gone to Troll 2 knowing how bad it is yeah. on my own. Like, I just want to go into a movie with, you know, ex like, I'm not saying I go into every movie with high expectations, but I want to go into a movie thinking to myself, I need to find something good in this movie. Yeah. I don't want to go into a movie going, oh, this is shit. I can't wait to watch it. 
Yeah, it's not my thing. Yeah, I don't understand either. Yeah, so anyway. Anyway, this is actually a pretty good movie, though. This um, is the one so about this, haunted uh, houses, right? Yeah, and this Michael yeah. Stevenson, I mean, his claim to fame was he was a little boy in Troll too. Yeah. And then he went and made that documentary about that movie. Anyway, so this is a sort of follow-up. And um, it's nice to know that he's going down this route because he, he is good at making documentaries about, like, kind of interesting characters. Yeah. And this is about um, people who, like, create haunted houses in their yards and it focuses on um, I can't remember the city. It's some some middle middle sized city in the U.S. And um, it focuses on three people who have home haunts in that city, um, and sort of they all kind of know each other. And they compete and everything, right? They compete a little bit. Yeah. Well, like oh god, I'll just sort of go through it. So the the main guy is uh, named Victor Bar- Barito, and he's like he's like really into it and really good at it so his stuff is like really well done like kind of like the the cadillac of home haunts and then the other two are just kind of um there's this one guy and he was kind of not not as interesting as the other characters but the second guy is he's just kind of like a probably say he's in his 50s and he's just he's kind of blase about the whole thing like he enjoys it but he's not really trying very hard and then the third third person is uh this kind of uh, i guess he's in his 20s guy. he's an up-and-comer yeah he's kind of a nerdy nerdy kind of he's a little and he's, he's yeah he's a bit off but he and he's and it's he's with his dad he lives with his dad and they do these this home haunt together and theirs isn't isn't very good either but it's um they really really they're really trying hard but this victor guy is clearly like really good at what he does and uh, yeah, just sort of follows the, these three homes throughout the month of October as they're preparing for Halloween night, and then obviously we go through Halloween night. So I I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I've definitely enjoyed the Victor stuff more because it seemed more. It was just more interesting to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think it's worth checking out. Maybe a little long, but. Uh, yeah, it's a, it was a good flick. The only thing I don't like about movies like this is I always kind of just wish there was a follow up. Like I'd like to know what, where they're at now. Oh, like they like you do the whole like six months after we finished this documentary, we went yeah. back, kind of that kind of thing. Well, because like I don't want to give away what happens at the end, but I am kind of curious where that went. You right. know, okay. and I did do a little bit of a search online, and I kind of got a bit of an idea, especially from the Victor guy. But I don't know. It's almost like I kind of wish they. I don't know. I just wish I wish they people would like make a YouTube video of like ten years later or something, oh, okay. five years later. Anyway, this is a good. Re- this was a recommend for sure. And uh, I don't know if you're interested in home haunts, and it it seems to be a little bit on the rise these days. Not so much here in Vancouver, but I know in LA it's kind of a big thing. And uh, and um, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I'll do my first one. We'll jump off of Troll Two here. Because I watched the original Troll. Yeah, this past why? Week. I had it on my PVR. It's been sitting on my <laughs> PVR since like October. Right. And I was like, you know, it's an Empire Pictures movie. So it's like Charlie Band. So, and it's directed by John Carl Buchler. Right. Who's done like special, does special effects. He's, he's most, I think he's most famous now for probably Friday the 13th part seven. Right. He also directed that one, but he, he always did kind of monster effects and gore effects and stuff. He's, and, uh, he started working with Charlie Band and and he gave him these opportunities to direct. So he did like Cellar Dweller and he did a segment in um, the Dungeon Master, 
right. the year before Troll came out. But this was his first actual movie that he directed. Right. So it's from 1986, and it's a pretty basic story. And it makes no sense when you think about it, because it's about this family who move into a brownstone apartment building, and it's the dad is Michael Moriarty. So okay. bonus right there. Yeah. Shelley Hack plays the mom. Right. She's been in like an Amityville movie and a bunch of other stuff like that. Wasn't she a Charlie's Angel? She might have been. And then um, the two kids, the older brother and the younger sister. And the family name is Potter. Potter? Yeah. So Michael Moriarty's character is called Harry Potter Sr. Really? And the son is Harry Potter Jr. Weird. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, J.K. Rowling saw Troll before she wrote her (laughs) books. But... um, Basically, what happens in the first five minutes is the girl's playing with her little, like, a rubber ball, and it goes down into the basement, the laundry room. Oh, the old rubber ball down the stairs. And she's down there, like, goes to get her ball, and this monster hand comes out and, like, grabs her. And it turns out there's a troll living in the basement, and what he has done is he has basically taken over her body and then proceeds to go through the entire apartment, making all the residents into trolls. And turning the apartment building into different fairy realms. So there's all these like trees growing out of apartments and everything after she's he's taken over the apartments and all that. And there's a uh, good witch called uh, played by June Lockhart that has to try and stop him with the help of Harry Potter Jr. Who's June Lockhart? She's um, from Space 1999. I think so. Yeah. Martin Landau's wife. Yeah. She's like a real in this movie. She's fairly um, she's probably in her 60s. Blonde? Yeah, blonde. Yeah, like Mission Impossible. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So she plays this good witch who's out to stop the troll. And I thought it was interesting that like later in the movie, um, her character becomes younger through magic. And it's played by Anne Lockhart, her actual daughter. Oh, wow. Because when I was watching the movie, I'm like, man, they look alike. They really did good casting in that. And then I, I found out that it's because it was her true daughter. But um, it's it's like your typical 80s empire pictures movie, right? Right. It's, it's not that great. But it's it's watchable, watchable. It's got like puppet. It sounds pretty cool. It's got puppet monsters by John Buchler, which are kind of fun to watch. They're you know your typical. They look like ghoulies almost, right? Same like with the ghoulies. They all have their distinct personalities. Like one looks like a pig, another one looks like a, a wolf, and things like that. You know, right? And um, it's great because Moriarty has a scene in it where <laughs> he he has this record collection, and the wife makes fun of him for his record. She's like oh, it took so long to move because of my records. And she's like, who needs 3,000 records? Oh, I do. And he's like, well, me. (laughs) So later in the actual movie, there's a scene of him for no actual reason. In the living room, he's playing um, Summertime Blues by Blue Cheer. Right. And rocking out. Like, totally rocking out. Like, doing all the dance moves and playing air guitar and, like, mouthing the words. And it's so fucking good. Wow. Like, Michael Moriarty is the man, okay? Like, he seriously. is. He's always good. And uh, Sonny Bono shows up as one of the uh, apartment dwellers who's, like, a ladies' man. So, it's kind of like Larry from Three's Company there. Right. So, he's, he's like, trying to pick up chicks, but he's upset that kids have moved into the building because they're going to throw off his game. <laughs> and then... Um, who else is in there? There's, there's all these different characters who are in there. One of them is uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays one of the people who lives in the in the apartment. She was uh, Elaine on Seinfeld, and now she's on that... Um, what's that show she's on now on uh, HBO? Veep? 
Veep. Yeah. So this is her first real movie, and she's embarrassed to admit she's in Troll. Nice. Of course she is. Oh, well, why wouldn't you be, right? That's like Jennifer Aniston embarrassed to being in Leprechaun, I suppose. <laughs> and um, I totally was... screwed up about June Lockhart, by the way. She wasn't... It's not Martin Lando's wife. No? Okay. This what is, is a chick from Lost in Space. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I didn't... I wasn't 100% sure. Um, and there was somebody else in this movie, but I can't honestly remember who it is right now, so I'm not going to bring it up. But it's way better than Troll 2. Like, this is a movie that didn't set out... Like, it's not inept. It's... John Buchler has a pretty good, you know, idea of how to make a low-budget... Yeah. You know, puppet monster movie. And it's like 82 minutes long, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's kind of fun. kind of liked it. It does sound pretty fun. Yeah, it's, it's like a PG... PG thirteen rated like monster movie, but it's more like a fairy tale gone wrong. Well, I like that, and and like the premise of like the apartment dwellers changing and then trees growing and shit. I think yeah, that's pretty neat. It's kind of neat. It's a it's a it's a for an Empire eighties movie. It's watchable. Right on. So cool. Plus Michael Moriarty. Yeah, he's always good. <laughs> he's always okay. good. I remember I was at a show. I went and saw Jeanette Napolitano. Yeah, from, from Concrete Concrete Blonde. Blonde. Yep. And uh, it was in the small club, and I was watching the opening act. It was David J. from Bajos. And I swear to God, Michael Murray already was standing beside me the whole time. It could have been because for a while here, he was out in Vancouver. I know. Yeah. And I, I didn't say anything to him because I, I just wasn't sure. But he also used to do jazz shows here quite a bit. Oh, at, really? At a bar, um, like a bar slash restaurant. And he used to play like every weekend. And I never went. Stupid. You should have went. Cause well, because that... I always, always like, oh, I'll go next next week. And then before you know it. Before you know it, the mighty Mike is gone. He's gone. Gone, daddy, gone. Okay, what else you got? Well, the next selection on my list, Chris, is um, <laughs> I thought I'd wrap up the Devil in the Flesh franchise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. By watching Devil in the Flesh 2, Teacher's Pet. Oh, so this is the follow-up from last week's Devil in the Flesh starring Rose it's McGowan. It's got a very promising subtitle. <laughs> so this was directed by Marcus Spiegel, who's done nothing, <laughs> and uh, starring uh, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. You were uh, right. I talked about this last yep. week. And uh, she was in um, Halloween H2O, and she was also in the one of those Crow sequels, the one with Eric Mabius and uh, Kristen Dunst. And those she's, crow sequels can go to hell. Yeah, she was also in Prison Break. Anyway, she's yeah, not she's just not very good. But she's been working consistently ever since, so that's well, great. Good for she, her. She's not very good, but she's isn't she like that blondie? No, brunette. Is she a brunette? But she's yeah. got that kind of like Melrose Place look to her. Yeah, she has a bit of a Melrose Place yeah. look to her. So that's why she's still working. But just she's she's no Rose McGowan. Let's put it that way. Rose oh. McGowan just killed it compared to this girl. Okay. And Rose McGowan. I I I mean I I talked about it last week. I liked the first one of these. Yeah. This one not so good. But the surprise was that the object of affection okay. was played by uh, Zoo Garcia, oh. a.k.a. Nick Corey, oh. who played... Nightmare on Elm Street 2. One. Or oh, one, one, sorry, What's, yeah. What was his name? I can't remember his name, but he oh, was... Oh, jeez, I don't remember He now. was Amanda Wiss's boyfriend, yeah, the, yeah. the guy that watches her on the roof yep, and stuff. Yep, yep, Sorry, it was um, one, yeah. Yeah, anyway, he's great. He was in uh, Gotcha. We, we did an episode yep. of Gotcha. So it was really kind of cool seeing him. And he's a pretty solid actor. He always reminds me of like, I mean, you know, he's kind of got... He's just one of those guys who's, when he's in a movie, you're like, yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's good. Like, he's good and he 
he brings you know like on he because he, he's a little more mature here he's in his 30s and uh hey, he does a really good job I'm, i was really happy to see him actually because i was like thinking oh god this is not going to be very good and then he popped up i'm like okay well uh-huh. he's a co-star so it might be all right and it was <laughs> he was <laughs> but um other than that um yeah it was the same th- sort of the same as uh the first one um she's got a uh, this it's the same character so she's playing rose mcgowan's character um the best part was at the beginning where <laughs> oh god this she gets picked up by this other girl like she's hitchhiking she escapes from the mental institution and then she gets uh she pretends she's like falling on the ground or something and uh, in the middle of the road and then this other woman picks her up and they uh drive off together and she's getting a ride with this other woman to her school but then they get to this gas station and it's like this bizarre scene where like the driver girl like goes out to (laughs) she goes out to use the washroom in this gas station convenience store but of course they're the the clerk is having sex inside what <laughs> just so they could slip in haha a sex scene so there's like this so she peers through the window and there's like this gas station attendant and there's this chick riding him and it's just totally totally awkward she's knocking on the window the guy's like go away she's go like, away I gotta pee but yeah the, and then of course she just happens to see like a newspaper on the ground or something saying that this chicks escape from the mental institution and um <laughs> of course she happens so then they it. like go like they're like it's a bit of a confrontation and they end up going around to like the the back of the gas station and the like the driver girl's like okay and 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 she's like you know basically wants trying to defend herself so she like lifts up like your pepper spray and she's like eat shit and die bitch <laughs> and then sprays it but it sprays her in the face like it sprays like she had it the wrong way nice. and she falls back and like lands on a nail or something it was, what? That and was, dies it dies yeah it was like, <laughs> it was so awkward it's so weird but uh that was a pretty good scene can but i see I, this clip on youtube do you think you might be it was it was pretty funny it was pretty okay. fucking funny anyway so then this uh then the jody lynn girl like pretends that she's this woman that she just killed and goes to the college but um uh, yeah the rest of it was pretty rudimentary both of these movies are, like they're called devil in the flesh but i like they should be called like devil don't show flesh or something because neither of these girls got naked. Hmm. Um, Rose didn't. And this one doesn't. Um, this one had a bit more nudity though. Um, than the first one, well, obviously um, there was some dude getting ridden at the gas station. There was the dude getting rid of the gas station. And then, uh, uh, Ju- Suze Garcia's, uh, girlfriend, Catherine Kendall also has a few, uh, nude scenes, but, um, yeah, this one was just, it was just kind of awkward because, this girl just couldn't play crazy like Rose and and like Alicia and all those uh, and some of the other ones. Like you know, we talked about crazy girl movies. You need uh, this is kind of the first one I think that I've seen that I just didn't really couldn't really get behind because I just didn't really buy into the psychosis. Hmm. But um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say this is definitely a not recommend. But uh, I feel better now that I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I can wrap up the series. Wow. So that's Devil in the Flesh 2. Devil in the Flesh 2. Yeah. I continued on my 80s trend and I watched a slasher movie from 1984. So I all of a sudden I'm on this 80s slasher movie kick and these are 80s slasher movies I missed. Right. So I watched Fatal Games. Right. This was Cho's 
The javelin one. Yeah, this was picked by the readers, and I, I watched it, and I uh, didn't hate it. Didn't hate it. So, well, you for, were worried about a javelin being an I, interesting it's weapon. Still, it's still a stupid friggin' weapon for <laughs> for for a slasher movie. Like, there's be a girl like working out at the gym, and she's like lifting weights. She's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, and all of a sudden she's pinned to the fucking wall by a javelin. Is 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 it always like throwing the javelin? Yeah. Always it's throwing. not like close up like there's been like there's one sword scene, javelin sword. There's one scene where a chick gets speared with it. Okay. But it's like mostly it's just like being thrown. Like there's a scene of there's a uh, there's a scene of a guy playing f- like practicing in the football field and he gets a javelin through the chest and you see the frigging killer up on top of the, like the booth where they do the commentary just like hold like Rah, I killed you kind of like that oh, right. Oh, is it a male killer? Huh? It's a guy. I don't want to ruin anything. Well, you just did. No, you no, you didn't. I didn't read. ruin anything okay. for you. I said you see the killer. It would just seem to be if you were going to like do a javelin killing movie, like I'd probably go with like, like kind of like, you know how the cannibals always are throwing shit yeah. or like Indiana Jones, those guys throwing the spears at the plane. Like, why not make it like a river rafting javelin murder thing? Well, the whole premise Is there of river rafts in this. No, like I feel like if you're having a javelin killer, <laughs> they should be throwing the javelin. So from... it's like it's like the river wild with Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon and Kevin Bacon's the one throwing the fucking javelin. at well, everybody. Don't you think it's something that should be thrown from a riverbank? Like it just feels like there if should you're be racist. Maybe. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a riverbank scene. Like river... I would be throwing the javelin on, at 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 a on to someone that's on a river. Okay, well, Josh, when you will make a movie called Riverbank Javelin Massacre, <laughs> and we'll see how that pans out for you. You probably sell some units with a title like that. But um, the whole premise of this movie is the fact that it's it's set at this. Um, I do want to see this just based on the premise. It's set at a university <laughs> where they're getting ready to compete in the nationals to go on to the Olympics. So it's basically all the gymnastics team and all the athletes are training for this and they're getting picked off one by one by a javelin killer. <laughs> and the best thing is this opens with like a gymnastics routine scene. So it's got like the chick on like the those double bars where you swing around on them and everything. And it's got people on the pummel horses and everything. And it's like, they're all doing it. And there's this like montage music playing. There's like this song playing like this eighties jam where it's like, winning isn't everything. Winning is the only thing. Ah. And I'm like, this is fucking sweet. Like right off the bat, I'm like, this is the best. And uh, from there, there's like this athlete's dinner where it's kind of like they're trying to do porkies. Because they're like, we don't have any napkins. What are we going to do? We forgot to bring them. And this guy's like, I've got a solution. And he gets one of those, you know, those long, like, um, towels that they used to have in bathrooms that would go around on a spindle and you'd pull them and it would just be, it's so unsanitary, right? Because it's all dirty hands on it. We have one of those at my work. Really? Still? Yeah. And the guy takes... He just got installed. Really? Yeah. And the guy (laughs) takes this and he like takes it around the table and he just winds it around the table so everyone has some in front of them. But it's all connected, right? And That's then, pretty brilliant, actually. So this one girl, like, they're all goofing around with their food and this one girl gets, like, a hot dog in her lap and it's supposed to look like a penis and we're like, ho, 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 funny. <laughs> I and love then, jokes like and that. And then they all started having food fights and they start tug-of-warring with this, like, uh, <laughs> this napkin and everything. And I'm like, oh, so that's Dude, the Dude, you're tone. totally selling me on this. I'm like, so that's the tone this movie's going for and there's lots of skin, lots of locker room scenes for you, Josh. All right. Lots of that. But it's just generic characters and, you know, 
people working out and being killed and red herrings and you know uh sally kirkland's on hand as the as the nur- as the school nurse and you know and uh you know the killer wears like this black shiny tracksuit with a hood <laughs> Nice. So I'm I'm trying to sell this to you, Josh. No, you know, I'm done. I'm sold. I'm and, gonna watch uh, this. You know, there's all this poorly acted drama and like these coaches, these touchy feely coaches. Like there'll be a scene where the coach is like giving one of the gymnasts, like the female coach is giving another gymnast a massage, and she's getting like right by the ass here, and she's getting so into it, and the gymnast chicks like gets uncomfortable. And is like, okay, I'm done here, and all the coaches in it are like all touchy feely with the athletes through the whole movie. Weird, which is like kind of scary. Is there any like double javelin kills? No double like javelin. Friday the Thirteenth no, Part Two or whatever. No, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Damn, I wish. But it's like there's like tearful speeches and like suspects and red herrings and you know overlong moments of people sneaking around in the dark trying to avoid the killer and like all these high-pitched shrilling noises when all these bodies turn up and all this stuff you know typical slasher movie stuff from the 80s uh but there is a really cool scene where this girl's swimming in a dark pool and she's being stalked and they use like underwater shots of her swimming right while they're ramping up the tension of the killer being there and her being do people do that shit and her being unaware of it and it was kind of a cool shot for a movie that's essentially like this low-budget 80s slasher movie. I'm probably selling it too much. Do people swim in dark pools? Probably not, but, you know, when winning like is in, the only thing, like you swim in dark pools. There are cat people that check swimming in a dark pool, too. Like, well, you know. I just don't know. Like, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't swim in a dark Poltergeist pool. Poltergeist 3 had them sneaking down into the pool in the dark and swimming. Well, I could see a man and a woman to get... It wasn't a man and a woman. It was just a bunch of teenagers. Well, I can even see that. But going by yourself to the dark pool on college campus with good a jav- idea. when a javelin killer is running around? Good idea. No. She's not aware there's a javelin killer running around. Oh. People are like, okay, it's never like, they're never like, oh my God, there's a javelin killer running around. <laughs> it's like, oh, this person, they disappeared. They haven't been here for a week. Oh, well. Oh, now this person's disappeared. Something fishy's going on. <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of Does slasher Does the killer movies. have endless javelins like Daryl on The Walking Dead has endless arrows? Maybe. It seems like there's an awful lot of fucking javelins flying <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> no like, one's taking inventory that'd be awesome if the in killer, the javelin room. That'd be awesome if the killer had one of those, like, sleeves on his on their back <laughs> that they would pull out the javelins before throwing them. <laughs> Yeah, and they had a bone through their nose, too, to fit in with your Riverbank Javelin Massacre movie, too. It's hard to throw a javelin, though, too, right? I know. It's like there's one guy who's actually a javelin thrower as a red herring, and there's a whole scene of the coach making fun of him and saying he sucks at throwing a javelin because he can't. I dare anyone (laughs) to rewind this episode by five minutes and take a shot every time we say javelin. Javelin, 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 javelin. It's, It's... I'll check it out. I'll check it out. If you like 80s slasher movies that are a little bit dopey, Fatal Games. It sounds like Cheerleader Camp, kind of. Sort of. Yeah. I think I might have liked this a tiny bit better in Cheerleader Camp. Okay. Well, that's not hard to do. (laughs) It's it's not bad. It's it's watchable if you're into these things. Cool. Okay. So, yeah. Fatal Games. Director? Uh, Mike Elliott. Okay. Don't think he's done anything else. Yeah. He hasn't, actually, if I remember. But, uh, you know... I guess someone didn't tell him that winning's not the only thing. <laughs> is winning there any- is the only thing. <laughs> is there anyone of note in this? Just Sally Kirk, Kirkland. Okay. That's okay. it. Wow. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah. Go ahead. My turn? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well. See if you can top javelins. <laughs> okay. I watched a movie that I fucking loved. Okay. So now is this a rewatch or is this a brand new? This movie? was a brand new. Okay, one. okay. And I wasn't expecting to like it, but and I don't know if it would qualify for 2015. Okay. But if it would, I it might be my favorite movie from last year. Okay. If it would. Now I'm now I'm really curious. So this is called A Girl Walks Home Alone. At oh, night. Okay. okay. Yeah. So technically it's 2014, but I don't think it was released. Until 2015. Um, onto video until last year. So, okay. And I don't think it got a theatrical release. Like, uh, very maybe br- limited. Very but, limited. Yeah. So. I remember it played at like uh, one of the theaters out here for like a week. Oh, did it? Yeah. Okay. So it might be a 2014 movie. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Um, it, this fucking rocked. Okay. And I wasn't expecting to like it, like I said. So this is directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. And um, it shot it black and white. Oh, uh, I'm out. <laughs> it's it's in farsi i'm out which is like Iranian. You're, ju- you're just hitting on the two things mainstream audiences fucking hate so they're out but i'm in so the tagline is it's the world's first iranian vampire western so it's it's done in farsi it was shot in california yeah so that that's a little interesting because i thought i thought we thought i thought this was actually an iranian well movie. even me going in i but thought no, that and then it, you told me california i'm like really yeah. so i believe it's an american movie but it's it's everyone speaks farsi and um i think that the main actors are well, all, on the lineage of everybody involved yeah. is probably iranian then, yeah right? so just even like it was just so fucking cool man and like you know, it it opens up, and uh, you've just immediately got this really cool guy, and he's like kind of James Dean ish, and um, kind of like a greaser type. But it's it's set in nowadays, and it's kind of it follows him for for most well, it follows him throughout the whole movie. But the main the main thing is it's just these just these inhabitants of this town, and uh, there happens to be this vampire woman. Um, at that comes out at night and fuck shit up. But, um, yeah, like, so the movie opens with, with our, this main character and it turns out his dad's drug addicted. And then there's like this really disgusting, like loud pimp guy who's like got tattoos everywhere and weird haircut and listens to rap and stuff or listens to techno music and stuff. And, um, but just, so is this going for like an alternate reality tone sort of? No, it was, it was definitely. Well, maybe a little bit. I mean, I, well, I just, just slightly. I mean, like just in the costuming and stuff, maybe. Or I just felt like the way, like it was the way. It's very art house. This is an art house okay. horror movie for sure. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say like it. It definitely felt a little fantasy ish in the in the town because, like, yeah, it did kind of feel like a bit of a western. Like it didn't feel like. Like it was contemporary, like you were in a, like neighborhoods and stuff, but it, there wasn't ever a lot of people around, and I right. think that was on purpose. I like I don't think that's because she couldn't afford extras. I think that was purposeful, and um, you know the characters that have runs with each other. This vampire was awesome. Like she was just so she she wore like a like a head like a shawl and um, was very quite petite, and but she would just do like shit. Like she would just sort of stare at people and like kind of follow people around and it was just kind of basically unsettling but i fucking loved her and like you know one point she like uh gets gets a hold of a skateboard and she's like 
skateboarding everywhere and she just looks so cool and you know like and the way it was shot was just very like it was art house but like the cinematography is beautiful like there's this one skateboarding scene and like her shawl is like flopping in the wind and it's just gorgeous shot and she's just one of those characters is just so fucking cool as was the main the main act the main uh the lead guy as well uh he was really cool too um but a little more uh um, I guess unsure of himself, like a bit naive in a way. And, you know, I mean, he had a lot of shit going on dealing with his dad and stuff, but everything about this was great. Um, of course, um, you know, this is filled with, it's an art house movie. So it's got all kinds of, you know, kind of wacky shots and a lot of real long takes, which, you know, I love. And, uh, I mean, there's one scene in particular where, um, just like pretty much an entire song plays in one shot and, and uh, it's just fantastic. Absolutely, I love this movie. Like, killed everything else last year. If if we are including it in 2015, so I highly, highly, highly recommended. Um, I have seen some complaints about it that it's too slow. Um, you know, but you know how people are. The people who are complaining it's too slow are probably the same people who would complain about it being black and white and in Farsi, though. Yeah, and and I mean, I gotta admit, I mean, I was a little skeptical of going into this, like, but it was like one of those movies that you just put on and you just, I couldn't stop no matter what. Like, I I had, you know, I, mean, I was at home watching it and I had to go to the bathroom and I didn't even stop. I waited till the movie was over. I just didn't want to stop the momentum. You just peed your pants. I didn't pee my pants, but <laughs> I love this. So yeah, this is this was awesome. So and let's do another shots game and have people rewind to the beginning of you talking about this movie, and they have to take a shot every time you said "fucking cool" because I'm pretty sure he it said it at least five. Fucking times. cool! <laughs> it just was, man. It was just really yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I I have this at home too, and I'm gonna watch it pretty soon. Yeah. And she's got a new movie coming out um, this year, I believe, called The Bad Batch. And it's um, set in the world of, uh, I don't know, there's cannibals in it. It's post-apocalyptic or something. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. And again, I'm trying to avoid. Right. Because I'm really kind of glad I didn't know anything about this movie going in. And I mean, yeah, I've just told people about it. But hopefully I just told people enough about it to want to check it out. But uh, yeah, The Bad Batch is going to star Keanu Reeves, uh, Jim Carrey, Jason Momoa and and some others, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I think this this uh, woman's got a lot of potential, and it's really exciting. And you know, in, in a world where all we're hearing about from women directors is like the Soska sisters and um, Catherine Bigelow, like I'm just really, I mean, this is the kind of voice I want to be seeing. Like, this is someone that I think could, is going to be around for a while. Nice, yeah. So. Uh... I'm going to finish off my 80s section of this portion by hitting up two movies really fast. Okay. And uh, because uh, I'd never, I had not seen either one of these movies before I watched them. So the first one is a movie from 1988 called Bright Lights, Big City. Right. I saw that at Dollarama yesterday. I almost picked it up. Did you really? So this is... um, it's a weird, one of those weird, like, it's based on a novel by J. McInerney, and he also did the screenplay, and it's one of those typical 80s movies, you know, about, like, young people in a big city who get caught up in the world of alcoholism and drugs and, you know, bad relationships and 
jobs they're not enjoying and just having all these mental issues, which, you know, we've seen this before in like less than zero and things like that. Yeah, this that. always felt like and less than zero yeah, light to me or something. The thing that I, the reason I watch this is simply because it's Michael J. Fox in the lead. Yeah. Now, I know Michael J. Fox from what? Back to the Future. I know Michael J. Fox from Teen Wolf. You know, I know Michael J. Fox from Greedy and stuff like that. Family Ties. You know, Family Ties, the Frighteners and stuff, right? So I'm like, okay, the opportunity to see Michael J. Fox playing this, like, cokehead alcoholic. Did you, have you seen Rescue Me? No. (laughs) That TV show. He plays, like, an alcoholic. Oh, really? Okay. And he's, like... uh, Got like a physical dis- deformity and or oh, okay. disability. No, I've never seen that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I wanted the opportunity to see it. And it also co-stars Phoebe Cates, who you know I love eighties Phoebe Cates, right? And uh, Keithler Sutherland is his best friend. Yeah, and he has a job. He has a job being like a uh, he verifies facts for articles at at this high end New York magazine, right? But he's always like showing up for work late, and you know fucking up because he's just got divorced he's just separated and going through a divorce with his supermodel wife played by phoebe cates and you know he's getting drunk and high on cocaine all the time so he's not doing his job properly he's like sleeping in not coming to work right and everything keith or and his best friends like swaying him towards the bad excess of the 80s and you know it goes from there and tonally it was just like a drone it was just like it's like okay you're getting drunk okay you're doing some coke oh bump in the road oh yep oh you saw your ex-wife oh now you're freaking out about seeing your ex-wife now you're acting like an asshole oh cocaine you know not very watchable does he actually do lines he like yeah he like has a little vial of coke like all fucking 80s movies has goes into bathrooms does rails Really? Yeah, it's it was weird seeing him in the role and he was very miscast. Yeah. He did not fit this role. Like if it was Keith or Sutherland in the lead, totally buy it. Like <laughs> no, no issues. But Michael G. Fox, I just can't buy it. He's too baby faced and you know, I was expecting Doc to like Doc Brown to pop up in the bathroom. Marty! Marty, stop doing that real. We gotta go back. Was he is it was this like a reaction to Back to the Future? Was he trying to well, no, this changes was, image or something. This is like three years after Back to the Future, so okay. I don't, I don't know if that's what he was trying to do, but it's, it seemed like a kind of a weird decision, and I think he was trying to like distance himself a little bit from family yeah. ties and things like that. And I had read stories that at the time he was also he was going through being like an alcoholic in real life. Oh wow! And that it almost got him fired from Family Ties, huh? And stuff like that. So I mean, I don't know how true that is. This is just secondhand information I'm hearing, but. I just didn't really care for it that much. I, I I have a hard time with now with movies from the 80s that focus on that whole preppy excess drug use kind of I'm a, I'm a sad young adult and <laughs> I'm just going to do coke and go to clubs and shit. I, I I'm just not into that anymore and I I didn't really care for it. Um however, the second 80s movie I'd never seen, I had a lot of fun with. And this is 1983's Flashdance. Oh my god! You've I'd, never seen Flashdance. I've never seen Flashdance. Yeah, seriously. How do you never see Flashdance? I'd seen this famous scenes, you know, the, <laughs> the chair with the water dumped on her and all that yeah. stuff. But uh, this stars Jennifer Beals as a steel worker in Pittsburgh. I think it's Pittsburgh, and she at night she goes and dances in clubs because she has this ambition to get into this really big dance 
academy so she can ply her trade and all that. And, you know, along the way, she like gets into these issues. She falls in love with um, with this one of her one of her supervisors played by Michael Norrie. Right. who I mostly know from being awesome in The Hidden. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's your typical... It's I feel like this movie's more aimed at women, obviously, because it's like a dancing movie. So, But it's got some really cool songs, and it's got, like, Maniac by Michael Cimbello <laughs> and, you know, things like that. Um, she's always running around in leg warmers doing these dance routines. She's got these really tripped... Because it's directed by Adrian Lin. This was, like, one of his first... His second movie after he made a movie called Foxes. right. In 1980, which was like a Valley Girl movie with Jodie Foster. And he was a music video director before this. And you could totally see that in Flashdance because there's all these weird music, like dance sequences. Yeah. Of like both Jennifer Beals and other dancers where they have like strobe lights going and all these elaborate set pieces and that. And, you know. Doesn't she dance through the factory? No. No? Am I no. thinking of something else? You're yeah. thinking of probably Footloose. Maybe that's it. Where he dances through the woods or something. And, uh, but. It's a watchable movie. Like, I didn't love it, but I was like entertained. I Jennifer Beals is fucking adorable in Why this movie. Why did you watch Flashdance? It was on my PBR. <laughs> <laughs> she was adorable in this movie. Like, she was so cute in this movie. And this was like her first movie she ever did. Yeah. And she's so cute in it. She's a very winning personality. Uh, Michael Norrie's kind of just like a boring love interest. He's much better in The Hidden. Yeah. Um, there's this character called... Uh, there's this wannabe comedian guy who works at this bar with her that she dances at who's always making racist jokes because this is the early 80s and he's got this one joke where he's like yells at the waitress like hey what's this what's this and he like sticks out his tongue like really like presses it against his bottom lip so it's like really fat and bushed out He's like, a lesbian with a heart on and I'm just like oh my god this is an actual joke in this movie I don't understand I'm kind of showing Josh. I don't understand. I posted a picture on the <laughs> on the podcast group page, or so you can see. And um, Adrian Lin went on to make Nine and a Half oh, Weeks. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I you get, get it, it now. <laughs> yeah, you know the late the clitoris that's swollen. Stupid. Um, stupid. So anyway, uh, Adrian Lin went on to make Nine and a Half Weeks after this, which is like one of those like really notorious. I 80s. thought because the tongue was like a penis. Oh no no no! It was no. her. It was her woman part swollen. Oh. Okay, anyway. Okay. Adrian Lynn made nine and a half weeks. I'm confused week. again now. Okay, I'll... Sh- I'll, I'll no, I'll, don't show me, dude. I'll tell you later. Um, Adrian Lynn made nine and a half weeks. Let me fucking finish. Adrian Lynn made nine and a half weeks, which was a Mickey Rourke, Kim Basinger, like erotic thriller that's famous for having that scene where they're like slathering food all over themselves. Yeah, what much... Yeah, it's it hasn't hold, held it's up. It's not that great. No. And then uh, he made Fatal Attraction the year after that. Yeah. Which, we know, we know Josh loves him some Fatal Attraction here. I do. Um, what I found interesting about Flashdance is, did you know this movie is co-written by Joe Westerhouse? I think I do know that, yeah. Knowing that now, I can totally see where Showgirls <laughs> came from. <laughs> this has Showgirls light kind of stuff in it. Like, I'm surprised you didn't hate it. Not. I can just see it. I can see where he would take bits and pieces from Flashdance and put it into Showgirls. I can right. totally see that now. Right. But yeah, I'd never seen it. I thought he'd give it a whirl. Pretty good. Huh. Pretty good. I don't know if I'll revisit that one anytime soon, but good for you. It was on like the movie channel. I was like, ah, oh, what the fuck? Why not? Never seen it. Yeah. Well, give it a whirl. Well, I guess if you've never seen it. Yeah. yeah. It's like Karate Kid. Remember, I hadn't seen Karate Kid till like two, three years ago. Yeah. So. 
Writing some wrongs. Yeah. Writing some wrongs. <laughs> what else you got? All right. Well, I I um decided to also keep going with my I Spit on Your Grave remake franchise. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow is right. So this part two um, was, <laughs> I thought, a lot more offensive than the first remake. Okay. So this one takes our uh, takes us a, a new heroine. Uh, played by Gemma Dallas Dallasander Dallander or something. Same director as the first one, right? Same director as the first one, okay. Stephen R. Munro. Um, Gemma Dallander Dallander. Anyway, um, so this one starts out. She's like a, um, a wannabe model, and um, she's um, trying. To, she finds out that she, it's going to cost her a lot to get a photo shoot done. So I guess she she sees a, one of those, you know, those wall postings with like the numbers you rip off mm-hmm. and it says free photo shoot so she rips this oh, off yeah, uh, yeah that's something you want to do <laughs> well you know you might want to do it so, I, so in other I words, knew this girl that got a free photo shoot so once. what you're telling me is that this was it like a really unprofessional looking one too with like the numbers written in black marker yeah but i do i do know a girl that did this and got a free photo shoot so anyway it just seems like a bad idea one of my ex-girlfriends it's yeah. a bad idea it's like it's like Answering that would be like, you know, answering one of those emails you get all the time saying, I've got money in Africa for you. You know, yes. it just seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Like some things you should just pay for. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, she decides she's going to go to get the free photo shoot. So off she goes to this um, weird address. And yeah, like if I was her, like with the whole setup that happens here. You'd show no up at the house and be like, I'm way. done. I would never have gone. <laughs> but I'm kind of a pussy that way. Anyway, so she goes to the thing and um, opens the door, and it's like these three Eastern European guys, red flag number two, and um, she starts to take her, um, starts to get the photo shoot, everything's going swimmingly, and then um, then the guy's like, I think you would look better if you uh, maybe uh, took that some of this off a bit. Is that how he talks? Well, he's kind of, I'm terrible at accents. I work with this British girl, and she hates it when I do a British accent. Like, <laughs> Hello, makes, governor. Chip, cheerio. <laughs> makes her really mad. So I'll try not to do accents. But anyway, um, so she doesn't want to take her clothes off. Why she, don't you uh, take your clothes off? You look much better in the photos. Yeah, you look better in the photos. So uh, <laughs> take the clothes off. Uh, we've established uh, we both suck at accents. Now. Okay. So, so don't she, feel bad. she gets out of there, goes home, and... Uh, it's kind of feeling shitty because, you know, this happened. And anyway, um, she, uh, one of the guys eventually comes to her apartment and sit, uh, with a flash drive. And he's like, he's like, oh, you left in such a rush. I want to give you these here. You could have the photos. And uh, <laughs> You sound like a wee ball. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she's a little weirded out, but closes the door. Anyway, she, she ends up... Um, going to take the garbage out but leaves her door ajar garbage day (laughs) comes back and goes to bed and then wakes up in the middle of the night with this guy standing at the foot of her bed anyway Hmm. things start to go to shit but this one does take a bit of a different direction and I am going to do some mild spoilers here Um, so the guy ends up um, tying her up and then her um, this, um, this other guy comes in to to help her like one of her neighbors and the the menacing eastern european guy ends up killing this guy and then um then of course rapes the girl and um, drugs her and stuff and then the next the, the next thing you know the other two 
cohorts, Eastern European cohorts, sh- show up to help him clean up the mess. Cut to, um, she's then lying naked on a floor in um, Bulgaria. <laughs> what? So I yeah like this one this one like had some like serious lapses of logic had so some like editing issues somehow they like I guess put her in a trunk and got her to Bulgaria somehow well, that's that's handy in some sneaky so they got her to Bulg like was there any re- time frame reference in this or was it like they're they're scrubbing a floor and then she wakes up in Bulgaria yeah they must have drugged her and she ended up in Bulgaria. But I'm, um, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, of course, my brain's like, well, how did these get her through customs? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> no. sorry, that's not carry on. It's too big for carry on. <laughs> okay, so then we get to Bulgaria, and she's naked and like tight, handcuffed to this thing, and it's just abuse, 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 more abuse. Guy, someone pees on her. Abuse, Sounds abuse. Pleasant. Yeah, it was. It was. It was definitely more. I thought way more disturbing than the first, way more graphic than the first one, like tons more nudity. And it was just kind of gross and grimy. And then she ends up escaping and then ends up back there again. And then they end up, she's basically left for dead and they bury her. But somehow they bury, they bury her in dirt, like on the, in the floor of their basement. And then, this other thing happens where like we see like her shaking inside the inside the trunk and i guess somehow there's like a subfloor under the dirt that <laughs> that breaks through and she falls into this like underground cavern that's kind of like a like a sewer system <laughs> If you knew what kind of confused look I was Super giving you, Josh, bizarre. Right now. And then she like looks up, and you could see like where the floor had like broken. I guess because the 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 trunk was so heavy. Like it's just weird, and I'm just all again. I'm just thinking, well, how could that have happened? Like, wouldn't the dirt that they buried her under have fallen through as well? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. So this movie is filled with stuff like that. And then, then we get on to the usual, like she, you know, manages to get herself back to some, get herself some strength back and she gets some help from this priest and then ends up hunting down the guys and killing them. And, you know, there's some, you know, the, the violence in this one, in that part too, was dirtier too, just cause they were in Bulgaria and they were in a city. Like she wasn't in a cabin in the woods. So like the first one, like she was in a city. So, you know, like. But I mean, it's it's all like really extreme. Like one of them is like drowned to death in a toilet, but it's not any toilet. It's like a like a train spotting style toilet. Oh, you know? so like a shitty filled, just like a disgusting you know. club train spotting toilet. And then another guy, like there's like this. He gets his balls like in a vice, but it's like it doesn't just show that in like a little twist. Like it's like you see everything happening. It's yeah. I was actually surprised that this made it through some sort of like, this hasn't been like banned or something because it was pretty, well, I mean, there's way worse out there like Serbian film and stuff like that, but it was pretty, pretty intense for what I, for what I'm used to. Um, that being said, I thought, um, this girl was pretty great, like in the lead role. And, uh, pretty brave role i mean i don't know if she's gonna get much other work um but yeah i mean uh, if it can happy if it can happen for misty monday it can happen for her that well yeah okay um i just thought yeah i just i'm just this this series is kind of 
almost kind of fascinating to me because I'm just like, why, how are they making sequel? Like I'm still like I'm still curious how they're making a third one. Like, well, I was well, even when I saw this one when it was originally announced it was coming out. I was like, Are you kidding? Like, yeah. How can you make a sequel to a, a, a rape revenge movie? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, is there a market for this? Are there people who actually anticipate these things? That's and if they do, they need some mental. Well, I've watched both of them. Well, that <laughs> you need some mental help. But, well, I mean, the first one I was curious just because I wanted to see what they would do with it. Well, I, mean, I understand that, but, like, I just don't get why it was necessary to make more. Yeah, and it's a, and like we talked about last time, like, I'm really kind of, like, part of me is like, well, this is kind of, like, it's a really kind of, like, feminist, like, violent movie. Like, a, like a, it's like a feminist gore movie or, uh, like, I don't even know what you call those, like, uh, torture porn. Like, it's like feminist torture porn. But is it like, is it really, is, is it feminist? I mean, it is in a way because she's like definitely able to like get back at these guys. And I, I do like that part of it. But the part, the, the first half leading up to that is pretty exploitive, right? So I don't know. I, I find these to be quite the paradox. And uh, hmm. I'm quite curious about about them and how they're being made. I do think that Stephen Monroe has a pretty good handle on how to do this. I mean, I thought the first one was pretty true to the original. I thought this one, it it went in a different direction, but it still sort of kept the same sort of structure there. I'm curious how the third one's going to be with a different director, but I've heard it's not very good, but well, I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah. Tune in next week. (laughs) Yeah. Tune in next time as Josh continues his spiral into the rape hole. Well, (laughs) I mean, it is, it is a pretty known genre and it is, um, I know. And I, I, th- I thought these were fairly responsibly done for what they are, right? Um, I, I mean, I think rape revenge, generally speaking, is. And yeah, I mean, I've, I do find, I don't know, I find people don't really have the issues with it I would expect them to. Like, as long as there's proper comeuppance for the yeah. the rapist. But I, just I overall, like, yeah, I just find it quite, it's disturbing and weird and... and um, but uh, yeah, I mean, at least at least there's that part of it. And uh, I mean, I guess if I'm going to see movies like this, I'd like to see that rather than just a pure exploitation, like like some movies that have been like the August Underground movies, for example, right? That seem more just pure exploitation. Or there's there's other movies out there that are just you know people raping prostitutes and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean that stuff I think is pretty pretty awful but this this stuff i mean at least you're getting the other side to it and i mean it would almost be kind of like a fantasy i would imagine for someone that had had this happen to them to be watching something like i I don't know it's it's a it's a tough subject and uh, i do but i do like to watch challenging movies once in a while so i am i am curious about this this uh, series for sure okay well we'll hear about the third one i'm sure next time yeah um i have one more left okay and we both watched this together. I just thought I'd briefly bring up that we went to see Deadpool. Oh, yeah, Deadpool. So uh, this is the big movie right now. This is the movie that everyone seems to be loving. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I'm not into superhero movies particularly. Like I told you, I saw the original Iron Man. I saw the first Captain America. And then since then, the only other superhero movie I had seen that could be classified as one was Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And, you know... I was hoping they'd stay true to Deadpool's character, which they did in this movie, because he's like a wisecracking, kind of like a potty-mouthed, you know, violent guy. 
And I thought Ryan Reynolds did a really good job in it. Yeah. Much better than he did in the X-Men Origins Wolverine, which they did make fun of in this movie. Oh, did they? Yeah, they did. They had a, a scene with like his girlfriend making an action figure, and it was his character from the X-Men Wolverine movie. Oh, okay. You know, there's all these little jokes in it that were like references to Ryan Reynolds. Like there's a scene where Deadpool's like, oh, that's like saying you hire Ryan Reynolds because he can act. Right. You know, and there's all these crude jokes and, you know, violence and, you know, I was entertained, but I, I'm not going to say that it was like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I think we both came out of it saying, you know, that was okay. That was fun. It was like, for me, it was just kind of like forgotten the next day. It's it's not like a movie we're going to rush out and buy when it comes out on blu-ray yeah but you know it had some funny jokes in it i thought ryan reynolds was pretty you know likable and engaging in it yep and you know and there was like um was it uh what was the name of the actress who played the blind lady i I have no idea i think it was the lady from uh the original star trek Oh, was it? Like I think Nick, so. Michelle Nichols or something? I think so. Okay. I think it was, but she has a out-of-the-blue line about how she misses cocaine, which I was like, what the hell? You right. know, and just, just little things like that, like jokes about uh, Ryan Reynolds' version of Green Lantern and things. And fun movie, 100, 100 or so minutes. Not going to remember much about it in the future, but it is what it is. I can see why people might like it. Yeah, I mean, again, like with a lot of these, I don't get why people are so excited about these. Yeah, it's it's over the top excitement for this yeah, movie. Yeah, because it was just, it was one of those, like, it was kind of in and out. Felt like I, you know, had some candy and felt yeah. okay with spending the money on the candy. And, yeah. uh, but I don't remember the candy the next day. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's a popcorn movie. Yeah. And that's all you can take from it. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> Is that what the ladies say to you all the time, Josh? <laughs> Fun while it lasted. <laughs> all 30 seconds of it. Oh, come on. I can do a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's finish you up and then we'll we'll head into oh, topic. Finish me up, eh? Let's finish you off in a minute and we'll move into topic. All right. That sounds disgusting. Okay. I I'm ashamed a, of myself right now. I got a few other things to mention here. Really quick, I'm just going to mention the movie Shame. Um, just because um, this is from 2011, directed by Steve McQueen, um, who did 12 Years a Slave and uh, uh, Hunger, um, starring Matt Michael Fassbender and Carrie Mulligan. Um, I just want to mention this just because this is a pretty nihilistic movie about a sex addict. And um, again, I'm all over the long shots and interesting filming. There's a and long stuff. shot in this movie. <laughs> 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 yeah, Chris is referring to Michael Fassbender's long member, which we uh, see a few times. It's quite impressive, I gotta say. But I um, think you compared it to Tommy Lee. Yeah, it was kind of Tommy Lee esque. But um, he's, long this guy's, This guy is such a good actor, man. He, is. he was good in this movie. This movie, I don't think I liked it as much as you. Yeah, but I I, I appreciate it. For there was just this one scene with Carrie Mulligan singing new york new york do you remember that scene vaguely yeah I've, it's She's been a like while since i saw doing it. like this jazz rendition but again it's it's one of these things where it's like basically holding on her for like like four minutes or something and i i just love that shit but um there are a couple of reasons i'm mentioning this one is fassbender just because i think he he was just up for best ask actor this year no one really talked about it for for the steve jobs movie but he's just one of these guys that i just think is a just an amazing actor but he's like kind of 
doing weird things with his career by being in like X-Men movies and stuff. Frank. And what? Frank. Frank? Yeah, the movie where he like basically spends the entire movie with like a paper mache head over his real head because he's like this artistic like band leader kind of guy who's got like mental issues. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's from the guy who, it's from Lenny Abramson who went on to make Room. Oh, well, I could see year. him doing. I could see him doing something like that. It's more the like mainstream stuff that's yeah, kind of weird. X Men and stuff. But um, I, I the only reason I, I mention, like him, I yeah, do like him. He's a great actor. The only reason I'm really mentioning this movie is I just think this might be one of these movies that we look back on 20 years from now, and are like, wow, like what an amazing flick. Like, because I could see this one standing the test of time. I just thought it was really, really well made. And it's an early movie from Steve McQueen. I don't know if he's going to have much of a a big career. I thought he was after 12 Years a Slave. But it doesn't look like he's doing a lot. So, um, but I I, I do think that um, this might be one that people look back on and it gets rediscovered down the road. But, yeah, it was was just a really well done movie. And if you like like stuff like Paul Thomas Anderson and... and, um, yeah, that type of style of filmmaking. Todd Haynes. Yeah, where they spend a lot of time and they just sort of really develop characters and and let let actors do their thing. Uh, it's really worth checking out. Um, another one I wanted to mention that I watched. Uh, speaking of eighties movies, um, I watched The Carpenter. Oh, with wings. With wings, Hauser. From, oh man! So this is from nineteen eighty-eight. Have uh, fun with that one. Directed by I remember. Ma- I remember not liking it. Di- directed by David Wellington, um, he went on to make a movie called "I Love a Man in a Uniform." That yeah, I- the, the Carpenter is a Canadian movie. Too. Yeah, the, yeah, that's supposed to be quite good. Um, he also was like a producer on like rookie, executive producers Rookie Blue and stuff like that. He also wrote Zombie Nightmare. If that's any indication of where he was at in his career at this point. But this movie um, <laughs> it starts up with this crazy woman who, like, it, like the opening shot is this crazy woman, like, taking one of her husband's suits out of the, the um, closet and just cutting it up with scissors. And then she ends up being thrown into a, a mental institution. And then she gets released. And she's got this, like, kind of asshole husband. And um, they've, they're, they've moved into this new house. And there's all this, like, renovations being done. And um, I guess in the middle of the night, Wings Hauser is there doing work in like the basement. And um, we don't really understand why. In the he's... middle of the night. It's in the middle of the night. He's always there in, at night, like when no one else is there. But like she, she, you know, like this woman gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something and and finds Wings Hauser like building a wall or something downstairs. And she has a conversation with him. That in itself would be the scariest thing in the world, seeing freaking wings in your living room. Yeah, yeah. Doing stuff in the middle of the night. It's really weird. Anyway, things start to go a little more mental when, um, I guess her husband's working late one night, but really he's banging one of his students. He's a teacher. But so um, it's like Devil Inside too. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, or whatever it's called. Yeah, but this 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 was no Zoo Garcia. This, was, this guy's kind of like this dumpy asshole guy. Anyway, um, but it, one of the one of the workers is out, out with the boys, decides to get drunk, and then decides he's going to go back to the house to try and get some action with this lonely wife. So he like goes in, and he's he's got a mullet and a bottle of wine, and he's trying to smooth on this girl. That right there. <laughs> Instant success. Mullet and a bottle of wine. He's trying to smooth on this girl, and then all of a sudden, 
Wings comes out of the basement with a power saw and cuts the guy's arms off. And the guy's just standing there, like, kind of, like, moving around with no arms, looking stunned for, like, a few minutes. And he's standing the whole time. (laughs) And the wife is just, like, totally unfazed by this and just, you know, is chatting with Wings. And it's just really weird. So it's got kind of this, like, weird dream logic. And I don't know. This movie just doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere and i then, remember not liking it when i saw it ages ago yeah and then she gets like a job at a paint store and like she meets up with this like the the owner of the paint store and he's like drumming on his desk and he has like this like pepto-bismol on his desk for like no reason and and then he hires the 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 woman okay, this has got to say something about this movie if you're paying attention <laughs> to what's on the desk of the it guy it was right there it was like pepto-bismol and i was like why it's is product there placement, yo no, but I was like, why would he have Pepto-Bismol on his desk? And then she's like, the girl's like, you know, it's like I mean, a he's job. He's got acid reflux. Why you got to be so judgy? <laughs> so the, there, there's, um, she, they're in a job interview and she's like, well, I've just, you know, finished having a nervous breakdown and I'm just on my road to recovery. And he's like, oh, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> solid. Again, you're you know, a solid candidate. This whole episode has been about red flags. <laughs> anyway, anyway, then this scene happens where like she's like working in the paint store and like you know those things that shake the paint. Yeah, well I she's standing in front of one of them and she's just sort of zoning out. And I I guess something happens and the paint just opens and starts shaking all over her. So she's now covered in red oh, paint. She got a load blown. And then she just walks home covered in red paint. And then she has a conversation with this woman, the woman that has her husband was cheating on. And then she shoots her with a nail gun. But, and then, and then it's like, so the whole movie, you're kind of thinking that her and Wings have this kind of weird relationship, but then she kind of turns on Wings and it doesn't, none of it really makes sense. Anyway, what do you expect from the, the, um, the writer of Zombie Nightmare? And this was actually produced by the director of Zombie Nightmare as well. Hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, avoid, definitely avoid. (laughs) Um, there was a pretty cool burn stunt near the end, but um, like a guy, you know, on fire, like walking around. That's about it. That's about all I can recommend about this. Can't even watch it for the wings. No, minimal skin. Um, and this was... Uh, this He's was, no ramrod in this bad boy. Yeah, it was like ramrod light. Yeah. Yeah, ramrod light. Um, it's too bad. I mean, because I, I was thinking, what a great, you know, like I, there hasn't really been a good Killer Carpenter movie. And there's so many implements of death that they could use. But, you know, he doesn't really, you know, he uses a nail gun and he uses a power saw. But, you know, I I mean, I would think a Carpenter movie, there could be some real good Claw ones. hammers. Planing someone's face off. Yeah. Like, yeah, like there's yeah. some really good ones. But so, yeah. Maybe, maybe after you're done shooting your, your Ooga Booga javelin spear throwing horror movie, <laughs> you could make a Carpenter horror movie. A proper Carpenter yeah. movie. But I can't call it the Carpenter now. No, unless... you know what you could call it? You could just call it planing your face off or something like that. That would be a lame title. I know, but you know, what else are you going to call it? <laughs> the Nail Gun Massacre's taken. <laughs> anyway, note to all you um, filmmakers out there that like to do remakes... This would be one to do a remake of and get rid of all the bullshit. Basically, just take the title. Take the title, maybe at Wingshauser, but get rid of all the bullshit like, you know, you know, is he or isn't he real? Is it a ghost? Whatever bullshit crap. And just 
have a good killer carpenter. I mean, there was toolbox murders, but even that didn't really live up to what it should have been. So that's the carpenter. Fair enough. And the only other thing I wanted to mention is um, I've been listening to quite a few of Brett Easton Ellis' podcasts lately. And um, I listened to the Quentin Tarantino one (laughs) today, actually. (laughs) But I just wanted to mention this just because I really respect Quentin Tarantino and what he thinks. I really do, like, agree with him most of the time. And I got to say, I was so fucking happy when Quentin Tarantino was saying he didn't really get the whole Hitchcock thing. And uh, he also said (laughs) that he doesn't believe anyone that says they like Vertigo. (laughs) Oh, so okay. So I now I know why you're bringing this up. Okay. Just want to say I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Quentin agrees with me. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) You're not alone, but you're still an asshole. Do you like Vertigo? I do like Vertigo. Okay. Quentin wouldn't believe you. I like Rear Window and Psycho (laughs) and the birds more than Vertigo. All right. But. (laughs) No, I'm just saying because I know we always argue about this and I know I always feel crazy for not liking (laughs) Hitchcock, but Quentin doesn't like Hitchcock. Okay. That's fine because you don't like Quentin that much. I like Quentin. No. What are you talking about? No. I just don't like Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained. Well, see, and, and Django Unchained's really good, and so is Inglorious Bastards. Well, I don't. I don't rewatch. Like them. I might rewatch Inglorious right. Bastards. I don't. Anyway, think I don't like Jamie Foxx. Okay, fine. Now that you've now that you've dragged my Hitchcock appreciation through the dirt. No, shall... you can defend him. <laughs> most you and most of the world. Shall we move on? I'm definitely in a minority on the Hitchcock hating. Is it time for uh, t- <laughs> us to talk about drive-ins? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about drive-ins here. So, I have a history with them, obviously. Like, because my parents used to take me a lot in the '80s. I saw like Back to the Future at the drive-in, which is a Beastwick, Spaceballs, you know, all kinds of stuff. And and you said you don't remember ever going. My parents, my dad said that he took me quite a bit, but I clearly remember seeing the Man with One Red Shoe. Yep. Not with my dad. And The Firm, also not with my dad. So I don't know. I do have a memory of going with my parents. And this was really old school when they used to when you used to have to take the speaker oh, yeah, we off to the do, thing and put it in your yeah, window. Yeah, we had to do that too when we went in the 80s. I do remember that happening, but I, I don't have any movie. Me- All my movie memories are in a theater. Yeah. Well, I just like... I find it fascinating now that like drive-ins were such a big deal back then, right? Like this was basically drive-ins were never really about the movies. They were a big deal in the fifties. Well, yeah. Fifties, sixties, but like they weren't really about the movies. They were just a place for teenagers to go hang out or to take your family without having to pay for a babysitter. Yeah. And that too, or like, you know, to like, um, you know, it was like a makeout spot or a, a family, a quick family night out or whatever. Because some of them used to have like playgrounds and stuff that the kids yeah, could go to. Yeah, but you always and... see these in movies like, you know, people sneaking in in the trunk so they don't have to pay yeah. and all this stuff. Like drive-ins are a big part of cinema in itself. Like people who have had memories of these things and have worked them in their movies. And, uh, you know, like Blood Rage, for example. But uh, the first drive-in in existence was... Created in 1933 in Camden, New Jersey by a guy called uh, Richard Hollingshead Jr. And I, when I looked into this, I found it interesting because his first prototype of a drive-in was he just went in his backyard and he like nailed a screen right. to some trees. Yeah. And then he like 
put the projector on the hood of his car and put the speakers behind and then he'd unroll and roll up his windows to see how the sound differences were and he'd get these blocks and put them under the wheels of his car and then he'd like figure out how to you know place them so that everyone could see the screen and that and then he went to the friggin patent office and was declared the inventor of the drive-in that's That's cool that's a cool story that's pretty sweet and you know he opened his he opened it in 1933. The first movie he ever played was this movie called Wife Beware, which I didn't really look into, but I'm assume is just like a early 30s melodrama that no one really remembers or cares about. And then you know the 50s and 60s was when the drive-in was the drive-in. You know it was like all the American international movies, all the Roger Corman stuff, and it was like the teenagers going on a Friday night and hanging out, and you know you know, making out with their girlfriends or like, you know, meeting up with everyone else from school and just chilling out and everything. And, and, you know, this was a big thing until probably the seventies when, you know, TV became more prevalent in the seventies, you know, home video started in the late seventies, like VHS and all that, and, you know, and all these and multiplexes. So, you know, back in the day you had like a movie theater in town where you had maybe want two or three screens and that was it. Right. And then all these multiplexes popped up like we have today, you know, like eight cinemas playing. Every well, that was movie, more of the 80s. You know? Well, but you know what I mean? Like late 70s, early 80s, I'm talking yeah. here. And, you know, and home viewing VHS, obviously. The advent of the VCR and like, you know, movie of the week and all that kind of killed drive-ins in a way. Well, there was also a big change in the 70s as well, because I think the content that was played at the drive-in went way less family friendly yeah and they went more grindhousey and i think some of them even played adult movies but they would have to, uh, yeah like they apparently they had to be way far away from city limits to play pornos because obviously you'd be able to see yeah when you're when you were because I, I do remember like that like driving in the highway and you could see, and the you movie. see a drive and you, you see imagine the seeing play. a movie and that's like friggin' deep throat or something i can't imagine yes but i've never seen that there used to you know there used to be a drive-in um you know, on, right across the street from me, where the Indian restaurant is? Yep. Just a block away. There's a drive-in? That was a drive-in. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There is still one drive-in operating around our area. Yeah, you know, and I never want to go there because I never care about the movies. And, like, you know, it's like if some of the movies we mentioned tonight were playing at a drive-in, I'd be all over that shit. Well, it's like I said. <laughs> all they play are, like, two Hollywood movies. I'm like, why don't they just throw people a bone and and live up to the legacy of drive-ins and like once a month yeah. show like you know a 50 50s monster movies or something or you know show something that's like more in the spirit of what the drive-in was you know like yeah. like and and these are the movies we're going to talk about when yeah. we go into our double features like these are movies that we would s- gladly go and see yeah at the drive-in if they were to play them you know and i think the excitement of the drive-in for when you were a kid was that you got to stay up late because in the summer it didn't get dark till like 10 o'clock at night before they would show the movies and then it'd be like back-to-back movies with like a half hour intermission in between yeah so you'd be up till like two in the morning yeah you know and when you're like 10 years old you're like this is the greatest thing ever i know and now i'm like fuck i can't go to a movie that starts at 10 o'clock <laughs> well i know i'm the same way but when you're a kid and you're used to going to bed at like nine, ten o'clock at night to be able to go to this drive-in and be like there till 10 and go eat hot dogs and stuff your face with popcorn and go to the playground on the swings in between the movies and all that stuff. And yeah. like just be a jackass. Is that what's still open, right? The one that's here? 
There's one here still open, yeah. Because I did, as we were talking about this, or researching this episode, I did decide I'm going to take, I'm going to go to the drive-in this summer. Yeah. Just to give, It'll just to give a kid an ex- that experience, because he'll probably remember that forever, too. There right? isn't a lot of that experience left. Yeah. Like, across the states, they all have been going under. I think, I think the numbers now are, like, in America, just like the United States, there's only, like, 380 drive-ins existing Is there that now. many? That's that's nothing compared to what it used no, to be. No, but that though. seems super high. There's to been me. a little bit of a resurgence though, because you know they've been like having those portable screens and the outdoor events and things right. like that. And that's kind of been bringing it back. Yeah, a the little outdoor bit. events, like that one in L.A. is huge. That one at Hollywood Forever. Yeah, but, but it's not really a drive-in. It's like a walk-in. Well, but they're, they're kind of like in the spirit of drive-in. Yeah, because you have the lawn chairs. I know what the one out out in out here like you're supposed to bring lawn chairs yeah. and stuff like i went to the one i went to one a few years ago that they were playing back to the future on one of the portable screens mm. and you just like they do it in a park you bring a lawn chair you bring a blanket and you just sit on the blanket or in your chair and you watch the movie and yeah. it's, they're just projecting like a blu-ray or a dvd on the screen but it's just being out in the open yeah in the dark and and like enjoying a movie it's like it's something that is a lost thing yeah, it's a lot of different of an experience than sitting in a movie theater where some jackass behind you is like talking through the whole thing, or you know, like people are kicking You're your chair. You're so mad at the guy like, from Deadpool. I am mad at the guy from Deadpool. <laughs> if it's your second time seeing it, don't fucking tell me what's going to happen before while it's happening. Okay, it's annoying. But um, I just find drive-ins to be like an interesting subculture of movie going because it was such a thing for a couple of decades. And then it was just poof, gone. And, and you know, there's reasoning for it. Like I said, there's VHS, multiplexes, things like that. But, you know, it's the same thing that we saw with video stores now, right? Done. Why? Streaming, internet, all that yeah. stuff. You know, it's, it's all these phases. And I kind of would love to get back to the innocent drive-in stage where you would go and watch two maybe not so great movies, but just have fun and have that sense of community. I don't get that sense of community when I go to you know, watch Deadpool, for example. I don't go there and be like, oh, I'm with my people. You know, but if I went to a drive-in and watched any of the movies we're going to mention soon, I'd feel like I was with my people. All three of them. (laughs) All three of them. There'd be like four cars there. Just because people have no taste doesn't mean that I don't. But, you know. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, I just feel like you could... Like, I think it's somewhere like Los Angeles. I would feel like someone could probably get away with that. Mm-hmm. If you did one in like the Hollywood Hills somewhere and I don't know, somewhere there was a space to do it, like maybe in Burbank or something. I don't know. Like even if one of the, I don't know, there's got to be a parking lot or something they could do it. In. You would think that it would maybe go over. I don't think we could do anything like that here with well, the movies no. we're talking about. Yeah, but, well, no, this is a no fun zone for that kind of stuff. But I'd love to. Like, I've got a really romanticized ver- version of drive-ins just because I don't really have a reference point. Well, yeah, and you're going off of like stuff you've read or what you've seen in movies. Yeah. And it is romanticized a little bit. But like... I can genuinely tell you from being a kid who went to them growing up that that's not that far from the truth because you're in this location where you're with other people and, you know, you're like, if you're like me, you are there to see the movies because I was in the movies at a young age, but at the same time, it's just that community feeling, you know, it's like you're with people, you know, you're, you're, it's a nice summer night, you're hanging out, you know. People are doing silly things. You're seeing other kids at the playground and you're watching these movies. And it's just, 
it's a different experience. It's a more innocent and pure experience than what you're going to get these days. And that's why I kind of wish they were still around and that people were still looking at it as a viable form of entertainment. And I think it is a great idea that you're going to go to it. Yeah, I I, I think, I, think it, I think it's a great idea to give someone who doesn't even know what a drive-in is really that no, experience. No, I'm sure he has no idea. Yeah, you you just got to give that experience to someone because then they can say, you know, down the road, like, I went to this thing called a drive-in. Yeah. And you know what you do? You go in your car and you sit in your car and watch movies and, you know... People be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, you know, I, that's why this was an appealing thing for me. And I thought it would be fun to... How talk. fun would it be, though? Like, I just feel like it wouldn't be fun it's watching... It's fun with the right group of people. Yeah. I'm sure. Especially if you're showing the kind of movies we're showing. You're telling me that people wouldn't be sitting on the hoods of their cars and, like, just cracking jokes and, like, having a yeah. fun time. You know this would happen. Yeah. With the right audience, a drive-in could be, a sp- like, the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah, that's so, true. That's why I wanted to tie this kind of into double features. And that's, like I said at the beginning of the show, I tried to pick movies that I could see playing at a drive-in and having a lot of fun watching. Yeah. And that's also why pretty much all my movies, like I said, I'm looking at my list now. There's nothing past 1989 on my list. Right. So, you know, let's dive in. Okay. So we uh, we both picked 10 each, 10 double features each. I don't think we have to go too much into detail on them. We can talk for a minute, but yeah, I don't think yeah, we need we'll to. Just, like, kind we're of, not going to like describe the plot of each We're movie. just going to kind of like give an idea of why we paired these together and things. So let's take turns. Um, I numbered my list. I don't know if you numbered like yours. Like you ranked it? I didn't really rank it by any form of importance. The first thing I picked, I'll start off here, is uh, the first thing I picked was I was trying to go for that like kind of drive-in aesthetic where it's like you're picking something that's super like not great but would play with the right people. Okay. So I paired up the 1936 movie Reefer Madness with the 1959 movie Plan 9 from Outer Space. Okay. So the reason for this is these are both acknowledged as like you know, some of the worst cinema made by some people. Right. I, I don't agree with these things because, you know, Reefer Madness is misguided because it's a uh, a 30s anti-marijuana movie <laughs> that's ill-informed and, you know, doesn't really... It, it, it basically is like a, a... It plays to the paranoia of, like, religious groups and parents and that, that this drug, this Mary Jane, is going to make your kids into murderous you know, criminals. And it's a great movie to watch. It's a fun movie to watch just because of how misinformed it is. You know, it's got like a scene where a kid like puffs on, takes one like puff on a joint and is playing the piano crazily and like laughing and stuff like that. That's the most famous scene in the movie. (laughs) You know, people are dying left, right and center. So it's like a, it's like a, it's kind of a warm up to the greatness that is Edward Jr.'s plan nine. Right. Another movie where, if you've seen the Tim Burton movie, you kind of get a feeling that Ed Wood was a guy who had the best of intentions, just not the best of talent yeah, or the best of money to do it. And Plan 9 for Motor Space was like his sci-fi opus about aliens coming down to Earth and like trying to like rob graves and like things like that. Bela Lugosi and like his really bad 
like addiction phase of his career. Yeah. He actually uh, passed away. Yep. During the filming of this movie. And because the movie was so cheap, Jack, they kind of brought in his chiropractor to play Bella Lugosi, but he was like six inches taller than him. And he just went around the movie with a cloak over his face. <laughs> and you're yeah. supposed to be like, oh, that's that's him. That's the same guy. <laughs> you know, and Chriswell, this guy called Chriswell, who called himself a real psychic in real life, doing this weird narration that opens the movie and stuff. These are just movies that like... Vampira. You kind of have to see to believe because they're kind of inept. But I feel like, especially in the case of Plan 9 it had its heart in the right place. Right. And that's why I feel like both of those movies would be like, would play really well in that environment. I could see that. I mean, I could definitely see plan nine more than reefer madness. Um, just well, that's why plan nine would be second. Yeah. Cause reefer madness is, it's one of those movies that's kind of fun for a while, but it's short. Yeah. It would be like that wet your appetite for the, yeah. for the sci-fi ineptness that's about <laughs> to follow. So, yeah. So that's my, first choice cool all right well my first choice would be creature from the black lagoon yep with humanoids from the deep that's a good one yeah so like um, the yin and yang of uh sea monster aquatic horror yeah yeah so i did i didn't include a lot of horror movies on my list you're going like one scale to the other on that one well, I just was thinking, what would I like to see on a dri- in yeah. a drive-in, right? Now, yeah. obviously, Corman comes to mind. But, I mean, pretty much the first movie that came in my head was Creature from the Black Lagoon. I was Lagoon. going to put Creature from the yeah. Black Lagoon on mine as well. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of all the universal horror movies. I mean, which one? Creature would play the best. I absolutely thought Creature would play the best. Yeah. So, and, you know, and it's, it's yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a faster movie than some of the other ones. And, um yeah, I just thought that would be a good a good mix, and I just rather than going with creature and then Revenge of the Creature, I thought I'd mix it up a bit by going a little more contemporary because Humanoids from the Deep is also it's kind about, of a creature from the Black Lagoon, kind of, but re- with boobs redo. and with and, boobs gore. and gore. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just thought that, that I thought that would be a fun a fun mix. I'm down with that, and then you'd have like the more adult movie afterwards, and yeah, just yeah. Once the kids have passed out after yeah. seeing the creature swimming around, yeah, bring on the gore. Yeah, bring on the carnival craziness. Yeah, so that I would have. God, I'd be all over that one if nice. that played. Yeah, good. Um, like you, I don't have tons of horror movies on my list. Uh, this one is one that I had mentioned to you as an example when we, I first brought up this topic, and that would be pairing uh, 1972's Night of the Lepus right. with 1977's Kingdom of the Spiders. Right. And the reason for this is... Um, I love me some nature run amok movies and Night of Lepus's giant bunnies run amok. Yeah. Where the army decides like uh, the army has to kill them and like Janet Lee's in it. And it's just, it's a ridiculous movie. Like there's nothing. It's like there was that phase in the seventies where they like that brief moment where they decided to make oversized killer animal movies like food of the gods and things like right. that and i still shake my head because i don't understand why they thought that would be a good idea well this one to i've never seen night of the lepus but it looks to me like they just have like yeah like forced perspective yeah. rabbits but they don't they're never in the same shot with the actors yeah it's very <laughs> rarely and i mean any movie that has a scene where the rabbits attack a produce truck pretty awesome <laughs> And uh, Kingdom of the Spiders, I picked second because it's got William Shatner. It has Night of the Night of the Living Dead 
overtones to it. We've talked about this in the yeah. Killer Insects, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But this is like probably my favorite Killer Instinct insect movie ever made. Yeah. Like I have a lot of fun watching King of the Spiders every time I put it on. And I think it would play really well to a bunch of guys or a bunch of people in the middle of the woods in the dark in their cars. So that's why this... That would be kind of creepy. Yeah. It's... Like Kingdom of the Spiders. I don't know how I'd feel about it. Well, yeah. Actually, I don't know how I'd feel about watching that anywhere but my home. <laughs> well, because they're, they're regular-sized tarantulas, and Like too, I'd be right? a little weirded out in the theater or in, or in the car yeah. to, to drive in. So that's why... there's a lot of outdoor spider action in that movie, too. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I picked them, because I thought they would be like fun to watch in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. In a in a creepy dark Yikes. car, so. yeah, no doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, my next one is a couple more Carmen classics. Um, so again, like this, this is another one that came right off the top of my head was Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. Um, mainly because there is a drive-in scene in the movie, but it's also probably my favorite of all the Roger Corman movies. Um, so I was like, okay, what can I pair this with? What can I pair this with? And um, I did feel like I wanted to pair it with another Corman movie. So the the funnest one I could think of, and also as a link together, um, because it's two of my favorite uh, starlets of the time, I thought I'd go with Unholy Rollers. Okay. So, because uh, Candice Rialson's in um, Hollywood, Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard, and then we got Claudia Jennings and Roberta Collins in Unholy Rollers, which is a roller derby movie. How so, can you go wrong with a roller derby movie? Well, I just figured in today's culture, it's, uh, I don't know about every city, but I know in this city, you'd probably get a lot of people out. Um, it'd probably be a pretty fun crowd to, to have a roller derby movie playing. And I find that Unholy Rollers, if you were to go with the 70s roller derby movies, yeah. Unholy Rollers is a lot more of a drive-in entertainment than Kansas City Bomber would be, too. Yeah, I haven't seen Kansas City Bomber yet. It's but... more dramatic than Unholy Rollers. Yeah, Unholy Rollers, there's a lot of derby action and... Um, yeah, it's just really, really campy, like yeah. the, the melodrama that's going on as well. And, you know, the rise and fall of Claudia Jennings' character and stuff. But it's just a fun movie. And again, it's got all the trappings. It's got the roller derby action. It's got some boobs. It's it's just a fun, fun And Hollywood flick. Boulevard's good because it's got all the clips pilfered from other Corman movies in it. And it would be fun to, like, watch that on a big screen and just, like, yell out the titles of the movies. Yeah, As you, you saw what that. they were, like if you had a bunch of like minded people that driving you could just be sitting on your on your car hoods yelling out the titles of the movies that they're that they're showing footage from. Yeah, you could do that. Like yeah, I think that would be fun. Yeah, I mean they're both just light movies that I just think would play play well to a crowd. I was also trying to pick movies that um wouldn't like I a lot of movies I think of need to be in a theater, mm-hmm. like stuff like The Exterminator and stuff like that. Like I just I feel that that needs to be in a theater. Like it wouldn't play well on a big screen, but um, but these ones I kind of felt would be fun to see in an outdoor setting. So there you go. Cool. My next one. Speaking of silly movies, this is the only comedies on my list. Oh, because I didn't really go for comedy, um, and because I just recently purchased the box set of this series i decided i would show some love for police academy really so the original police academy paired with paired with 1985's moving violations that's an interesting now the reason behind this is because police academy started the whole trend of the near-do-wellers doing well where you get a diverse group of people together 
you put them in a job or a situation and they end up going from underdogs to heroes. Yeah. So this was like the first real movie that you saw this and there was clones galore. And uh, the reason I picked moving violations, because it's an obvious police Academy clone. It's set at a traffic school where everyone has done certain things that ended up getting them there. But it's directed by Neil Israel, who wrote Police Academy with Pat Proft, who also co-wrote Moving Violations with him. So they're very similar movies, but Police Academy is an R-rated movie, so you know it's got the prerequisite boobage you need. Yeah. It's got the kind of crude humor, whereas Moving Violations is really silly and is like... The progression of, like, it's more like along the lines of Police Academy 2, where it's just a goofy movie with, like, a cast of faces who we've seen and stuff, but you can't really, like, place them. Right. And, you know, it stars John Murray, who's Bill Murray's way less successful brother in the lead (laughs) role. And uh, I just think it's a fun movie. I think it's one of those forgotten Police Academy clones that I still have fun with, because... Um, Pat Proft and Neil Israel also made Bachelor Party together, right? Which is a great movie. And uh, Pat Proft wrote the um, Naked Gun series with the with uh, Zucker and Abrams. He wrote Real Genius, which we've talked about in yep. the past. And he wrote the scary move, some of the scary movie movies. So he's kind of like got that pedigree of making. Maybe not the greatest comedies, but certainly silly comedies that would play to an audience. And I feel like both of these movies would play to an audience. And say what you will about Police Academy, the first movie is still a crowd pleaser in my eyes. So what would the order be on that? I would say you'd start with Police Academy because that was the originator. Right. And then you do Moving Violations because it's the clone. Okay. And it's the obvious clone. <laughs> right. So. kind of want to see that now. I have it on DVD. You're welcome to borrow. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. All right. Well, next up for me, this is my only... I did one triple feature. Sorry. You're allowed. Whatever. But, um, yeah, I just did this one, and um, I thought it would be cool to do Night, Dawn, and Day of the Dead. Okay. I thought that would be a pretty cool progression. You know what would be the coolest? If you started it at, like, 3 in the morning for night... <laughs> then four thirty, five o'clock rolls around when the sun's coming up, you play dawn. Yeah. And then when dawn's over, you play day. But you, but you couldn't do it at the yeah, drive-in. But it would be the greatest thing. Yeah. Someone hop on that in an actual movie theater. Yeah. No but those joke. but that'd be pretty cool too. Like I could see those movies playing good in a in a drive in for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I mean I think it actually I think even just the tone of the films works in it would work like you know as you're going later into the night and because i find day has a lot more action like it's a lot a lot a lot of a leaner movie that's got more like stuff to keep you awake if you're up just going at two in the morning um and i just thought night would be a good opening and um i don't know what kind of dawn i would use but yeah i I just thought it would be a fun idea i would say just use the theatrical kind of dawn because yeah you're gonna want people to sit in their cars for like Six hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh, I'm down with that. I would go to that. Yeah, I think I would. I just... The if only... I was young enough to stay awake, I would go to that. Yeah, like I was almost like, should I just go with night and day and leave Dawn out? Because Dawn's quite long compared to the other two, right? Yeah. Uh, 
depending on the cut, the theatrical cut of of uh, Dawn is over two hours. Yeah. And then day and night are both like 100 minutes or less, I think. Yeah. But Dawn's paced really well and stuff. So I think it would work. I think it would work. Well, just that opening scene alone is a crowd pleaser. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. I'd be down with that. Cool. Uh, my next one is kind of a weird pairing in the sense that uh, they make sense together when you hear it. But they don't make sense together when you see it written on paper. All right. So the first part of this double feature is a movie called Airport 1975. The second part of this double feature is a movie called Airplane. Okay. So the reason this makes sense is that the Airport series was a series of four disaster movies with big name casts. Yeah. You know, always getting... Always involving airplanes, you know, because everyone's afraid of a plane crashing when they're flying, which is like less likely to happen to you than crashing your car. Yeah. Statistically. But, you know, they brought in these big cast names and, you know, Airport 1975 was the first sequel to the original airport. And it was the the reason I'm pairing this with Airplane, which is a total spoof of disaster movies, specifically the airport series, is because... I feel like Airport 1975 was the movie that uh, um, Jim Abrams, Jerry Zucker, and David Zucker uh, took most of their inspiration oh, from. without question. Because, yeah. you know, there's the scenes in both movies of the singing nun. Yeah. There's this, you know, in both movies, the, the, the stewardess has to land the plane. Yeah. And obviously in Airplane, it's played for complete laughs. But if you watch Airport 90, 1975, it's a laugh anyway, just because it's so ridiculous. Like Karen Black in Airport 1975 is amazing. Yeah. Because she just goes so over the top. You know, you get to see Helen Reddy as a singing nun. You get to see Linda Blair as the sick kid the singing nun's <laughs> looking after. You know, that's great there. And then you go to Airplane, which has some of the greatest, dumbest jokes in history. Like, surely you can't be serious. I am serious and don't call me Shirley. You yeah. Know? Just dumb jokes like that. So that's why I feel like... You watched a disaster movie that inspired it, then you watch the movie and you just get a laugh out of both of them. Yeah, no, that would work well. So that works for me. In that order. Yeah, in that order. Yeah. Can't sure. be the other way around. No. Okay. no. okay, this next one was a little bit of a challenge. Um just because okay, I, I really want I was like, okay, without a doubt, I drink your blood has to be one of the double features. So I was trying to figure out what to pair it with. I went with Sugar Hill. Just they usually, I, I remember it being paired a lot with I Eat Your Skin. Yeah, no, no. I know. I know. But no, that would not. I guess that's ridic- similar titles. No, that's a stupid pairing. And I don't know whoever came up with that. Like, it was a, it was a pairing when they were doing double features on, like, 42nd Street. But Well, because it wasn't I, I Drink Your Blood is more like a sleazy 70s hippie horror movie, right? Yeah. Whereas I, I Eat Your Skin's like a 60s black and white yeah. slow-moving yeah. zombie movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they don't go well together at all. I think it was just the titles. Yeah, so I was trying to figure out what to pair it with. So I was just trying to think of like, okay, what's like another kind of hip, cool, like... 70s. 70s thing. And and um, um, Sugar Hill is, is like a black exploitation 70s movie with the, a really cool lead lead character named Sugar Hill. And it's got good music and it's got really cool Afro zombies with these these kind of ping, silver ping, ping pong, pong ball, ball eyes. eyes yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a, it's a pretty fun flick and I drink your blood. It's just so over the top. It's like a, a culty, 
this like hippie kind of that's the like infected meat pies movie yeah, isn't it? This, yeah. This, this hippie cult kind of descends on this town and this little kid doesn't like them so he like gets us like gets rabies and injects rabies into these meat pies and gives their meat pies to the hippies and of course they all eat them and become infected by rabies and become crazy i've lunatics. never seen that movie oh it's so good man but i'm i'm down with this double feature i actually almost had sugar hill on my list really but i had a hard time trying to figure out what i would want to pair it with yeah i mean i had the same problem with i drink your blood so i think actually this probably would be a good pairing but um, I, yeah, I, I couldn't think of something a little better for I Drink Your Blood. You know, it's like, well, should it be a Lynn Lowry double feature? You know, sh- and I couldn't think of other any other hippie movies. Last House movies. on the Left. No, that's too... That's just it's too not brutal. fun, right? That, that's, yeah. Remember I was talking earlier about theater movies? Right. That's something that I feel like I should see in a theater. Like, it wouldn't play well on a communal big screen. Right. But these are these are more fun movies because I drink your blood. Yeah, it's violent and stuff, but it's still it's pretty goofy too. So like the lead the lead uh, the lead uh, hippie is like you know he's like this Indian guy and he's got this like red bandana and they all like start frothing at the mouth and it's just it's just more silly than anything. Well, it's like um, I almost considered the Gator Bait movies. Mm. But then I was like, nah. Yeah. You know, like like Gator Sugar Bait is, is Gator Bait had that wicked cover on yeah. the video box, but it was a sh- kind of a boring movie. Yeah, like Sugar Hill was definitely one I considered for a while, though. So that seems like just a pretty. Just that theme song just gets you. That seems like Hill. a pretty good pairing, and I would just show up so I could finally say that I've seen I Drink Your Blood. Yeah, because it's a fun. So... I've never seen it, so I've always wanted to. It's just I've never got around to seeing it because i feel like it's a movie i should maybe watch with someone so maybe one day we'll crank out yeah we should crank out i drink your blood i'm so glad i have a i have a, this edition of that movie that i got and i can't remember how i got it but it's directed by david durston who i think did elsa no maybe i'm wrong anyway it's directed by this guy named david Dur- anyway the the edition i've got so i got his signature lynn lowry the lead guy it's got like eight signatures on it it's really cool Really cool. I've seen it. It's pretty impressive. Such a great movie. Yeah. So that that's that's a fun one. So okay. that's more that's a real exploitation double feature. My next double feature, I themed a lot of mine. Mm-hmm. My next one is a uh, buddy cop double feature. Right. Because you know I have a thing for buddy cop movies. Yeah. And uh, the first one, Chris I, has been trying to get me to do a buddy cop episode since we started the show, and I, I I'm have. very reluctant. Um, the first movie I picked was from 1986 called Running Scared, right? Directed by Peter Hyams and starring Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. And I love this movie a lot because it's Billy Crystal when he wasn't really like a big name yet, like he hadn't done When Harry Met Sally or any of those movies. And Gregory Hines, I've always liked Gregory Hines. I've always found he has a really good personality and yep. I always find him to be fun in the movies. And they're like two Chicago cops who have to go after your typical drug lords or whatever. And I just remember they had a good chemistry between each other. They're always cracking jokes. There's a really cool scene where they're like driving this cab on railroad tracks while the subway cars are coming right at them and they have to try and avoid getting hit. Oh, okay, and, I remember that. You know, yeah. It's just got a lot of fun stuff in it and... uh I was like, yeah, that's a good buddy cop movie. That's a that's one I would love to see on a on a big screen and like okay. at a drive-in. And I paired it with one of these um it's a really obscure buddy cop movie that I have on here because I've always loved it, but it's always been kind of hard to 
find. And I know I think it's now out on like one of those on-demand DVD service things, like MGM or something. But it's a canon movie from 1987 starring Billy D. Williams and Robert Carradine called Number One with a Bullet. Wow. And you've never heard of this, right? No. So basically, <laughs> Billy D. Williams is You're a trying cop. to out-obscure me tonight. <laughs> Billy D. Williams is like this ladies' man cop. I wish he could. I could say that he plies the ladies with some Colt forty five in the movie, but alas, no. And uh, Robert Carradine, who at the time I saw this movie originally, I just knew him as like, you know, the guy from Revenge of the Nerds, right? Yeah. In this movie, he plays a character whose nickname is Berserk, and he's like one of those badass cops who's just like got mental issues and just like goes crazy through the whole movie. Is it a cop? This is a comedy. No, it's like a it's an action movie. Oh wow. It's like got comedic undertones, but it's an action movie through and through. Huh. And it's like they go after drug dealers in it, but they find out that the corruption and the drug dealing is coming from within the department. So they have to go after... Oh, bad, you know, dirty cops. Bad, dirty cops. And I don't remember a hell of a lot of this movie, to be honest. I just remember it's a lot of fun. It's a canon 80s movie. Yeah. What more do you need, right? It's got over-the-top action. It's got Billy D. Williams... Yeah, Robert Carradine, Billy uh, Williams is Nighthawks. He's an automatic pass. The funny thing and is, he's Lando like, Calrissian. The funny thing is, is like I, I picked this movie just because I was like, I want buddy cop movies. This is awesome. But then I looked at my other features and I thought it was interesting that number one with the bullet was directed by Jack Smite, who also directed Airport in 1975. Right. <laughs> Peter Graves plays the captain. Of the police, of the of the cops who, you know, Billy D. Williams and Robert Carradine's boss. You know what, Billy? In, Does he ever say that? Huh? You know what, Billy? Have yeah, you ever heard he, of a... <laughs> he's an airplane. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's it's weird. I know. That that worked captain. out that way. But yeah, definitely if you can hunt down number one of the bullets, a lot of fun. And paired with Running Scared, I think those would be like two buddy cop movies that aren't called... 48 Hours or Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I thought you were going to say 48 Hours for sure. I also almost put Shakedown in there because you know I love me some Shakedown. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go with themed one then. I'm going to go with my Blastploitation Pimp double feature. Hells yeah. The Mac (laughs) better be one of them. The Mac and Superfly. Oh, see, I knew the Mac was on there. (laughs) But it would actually be Superfly and then the Mac, I think. Oh, no, maybe the Mac and Superfly. Well, the Mac's more of a serious movie than Superfly, though. Yeah. So yeah. I would go with the serious tone first and then go with the super fly. The, the Mac, I don't know. I, there's there's a jelly donut line in the Mac that always cracks me up. Okay. Calls a cop a jelly donut, I think. But um, anyway, either way, yeah. So Superfly starring um, Ron, what's his name? Oh, crap. Mc, Mc, uh, I don't remember. Oh, my God. It's been a while. Um <laughs> I'll yeah. look it up. You keep talking. Okay. So, yeah. So, Superfly, and then, uh, which is a, it's a great movie about a pimp's rise and fall. And so, actually, so is the Mac. So, um, they're both movies about pimps. And um, the Mac has Richard Pryor in it. And um, and Superfly has Ron um, Ron in it. Ron Ron? Yeah. Ron um, O'Neill. 
Ron O'Neill. Oh my god, how embarrassing. Anyway, I was trying to come up with a black exploitation double feature, and you know, I was going back and forth. Should it be Foxy Brown? I didn't think Black Caesar would work, and Dolomite. Coffee. Yeah, Dolomite. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Dolomite's not a very good movie. No, so, it's not. But these are both really good movies, and I just thought it'd be fun, and and with the music and everything. Well, I, yeah, that that um. Superfly soundtrack by Curtis Mayfield alone makes that movie worth watching. Yeah, it's hard to say which one I like better of those two, but I yeah, I'd probably Superfly, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, I thought it'd be a fun. Yeah, I, I was thinking of doing a black exploitation one, but I figure you'd have our bases covered on that one. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling. I can't remember. I can't forget. I I can't believe I forgot Ron O'Neill's name. Jesus. See, much like I'm trying to get an episode on Buddy Cops, Josh is trying to get a black exploitation episode. Yeah. So, you know. Um, my next one was, I was hoping there was a way that we could go back in time and recreate 80s 3D for this one. Cause I picked two 80, early 80s 3D movies. So this was when 3D was making a resurgence in the early 80s and it was making a resurgence with like horror and sci-fi movies mostly. So, yeah. you know, there was like Amityville 3D and Friday the 13th part three and stuff. Uh, Metal my two Storm, ch- the destruction of Jared Sin. Metal Storm, yeah. Well, the director of Metal Storm, Charles Band, yeah. also made a movie called Parasite in 1982, which is the first half of this really? double feature. Parasite? Parasite. This is a post-apocalyptic <laughs> movie starring Demi Moore and a big-ass parasite who likes to jump from body to body <laughs> through people's faces. And the parasite was created by Stan Winston, really early work for him, it's not the greatest movie, but I feel like it would play good on a screen with people who were into it. Right. Um, the second part of this feature, simply because I think it's one of the more entertaining 80s 3D movies, even though it's not the best, is Jaws 3D. The reason Jaws 3D, those 3D effects are pretty terrible. He chomps on water skiers. It's got Lou Gossett Jr. Yeah, Lou. And it's got Leah Thompson. Uh, Sold. <laughs> That's my logic behind that. I don't get the Leah Thompson thing. I don't get it now. I just but watched an episode of Tales from the Crypt where she plays a hooker, and I really don't get I it. I don't get it now, but back <laughs> when I was a kid, I did. So, whatever. But uh, Lou Gossett, man. Yeah. Lou Gossett. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I just thought it'd be cool to have, like, see if we could pull off a 3D double feature in a drive-in. And, you know, I thought Friday the 13th Part 3 for a while there, but I was like, you know what? I think it'd be more fun to watch Jaws. Just because I remember the 3D effects in Jaws 3D just being so obvious and so bad. I've got a I've got a copy of that. In 3D? With, with that 3D machine. Oh, really? And it looks pretty good. Yeah, so... That's my 3D double feature. I, I would have gone with Friday over Parasite, personally. I wanted Parasite just because I know it's not a good movie, but there's some pretty cool 3D stuff in it. Like, there's a Parasite bursting out of someone's face right towards the camera <laughs> that was pretty damn sweet. Plus, it's got the added bonus of being early Stan Winston. Right. So, that's why it was picked. All right. All right. I actually realized I have 11. Sorry. but Oh, Jesus. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the music episode. <laughs> okay, so my next one, I had to, I had to do some kung fu because um, I've kind of always fantasized about watching kung fu on a drive-in. So 
Uh, my next one would be Enter the Dragon. Yep. With the Street Fighter. Makes sense. So, in that order again, I'm I'm trying to say mine in the order I would. Well, choose. so am I. Yeah. Yeah, and Enter the Dragon. I mean, it's such a classic, and I think it would really get the crowd into it. Bruce Lee, um, Black Belt Jones, Jim Kelly, Jim Kelly, John Saxon. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can't really go wrong. Bullshit, Mister Handman. <laughs> And it's so, it's just such, it's just moves along. It's such a good clip. I think people would be really into it. I thought about doing two Bruce Lee movies. Well, Enter the Dragon's definitely the Bruce Lee movie you would be able to get people who aren't really into Bruce Lee to watch the most. It's, well, it's, his most, it's just so good. It's man. his most accessible mainstream movie. Like, I love Enter the Dragon, but I actually think I like um, Return more. Really? Like, really? I just, well. I like the end fight in Return more. Huh. Yeah. Wow. I love Enter the Dragon. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like for me, that's, there's nothing that tops that as far as Bruce Lee goes. I just like the, I just like the Norris factor in uh, Return. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and then Street Fighter. I don't, have you seen the Street Sunny, Fighter movies? Sonny Chiba, man. Yeah. The first, the, like, the so first I, one's amazing. First one, Sister Street Fighter is pretty good as well, but I just, I thought, I, I like, I think the first one. I like Street Fighter. It's a lot of fun. And I've seen it so many times. Like, I just thought, yeah, this sort of, so it, showed, it would show Bruce Lee and kind of this almost fantasy movie. And then, because uh, Enter the Dragons gets a little pretty over the top. Yeah, it's pretty silly. And then Street Fighter, yeah, it's just a little more, a little more straightforward, but um, Sunny Chief is pretty badass, so. Well, if it wasn't for a movie like Enter the Dragon, we would never have movies like Bloodsport or any of those other movies where people go to be in a top secret <laughs> tournament. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't have any of that. If we it would wasn't have no Lost Empire either. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, can't discount some Enter the Dragon, but that's that's a good pairing. I, I would love to see some Kung Fu on the, on the big screen. And I had considered it too, but I never went there. So yeah. uh, my next one is another themed one. I did myself a Walter Hill double feature. Okay. Because, you know, Josh and I love us some Walter Hill. We've not made that a secret in the past. Um, I picked the most obvious Walter Hill movie and the one that I feel like is the most, one of the more underrated Walter Hill movies. So the first movie we'd play would be from 1987 starring Nick Nolte called Extreme Prejudice. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you seen that one? No. Okay, so he plays a Texas Ranger in this movie, and he has to go after some bad guys in this small town who are dealing drugs. What a surprise. And the reason I like this movie is because I'm not a huge Nick Nolte fan. Right. In general, but in this movie, he's just so badass because he's got like the cowboy hat and like the really tightly yeah. trimmed mustache, and he just goes through the town like it's with his this- look that just turn me off this movie he just got this cool demeanor through the whole movie and he just goes around like just shooting the bad guys and everything and it, it co-stars powers booth okay michael ironside oh okay and maria conchita alonzo who i loved in running man so this is a real like man movie well all walter hill movies yeah, are kind of man true. movies but it's one that i feel like it's never been given a proper release on like DVD. It was out in full frame DVD back in the early days of DVD. It's never come out on anything else but. And I just think it's a cool movie. I remember when I saw it when I was like 12, I thought it was so badass. It's the only movie that I can think of that with Nick Nolte that I'd like to revisit more than once because I'm not a huge fan of his. So that's my first pick. Right. So it's also more of a solid, like realistic kind of 
action movie. The next movie, Josh knows exactly what this is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's paired it with something on his. I have. It's called The Warriors. Yeah. From 1979. Love it. Yeah. This is like my, probably my top action movie of all time. Pretty damn close. Like, I love The Warriors. I have fond memories of seeing The Warriors with you on a, on the screen that I've talked about in the past. And it's the coolest movie. Because it's like... Well, this might be my favorite. It's it's up there in my favorite movie of all time. Like, it's the coolest yeah. movie because it's basically a New York gang trying to get home to Coney Island while being chased by other gangs because they've been framed for murder. Yeah. Basic, most basic of plot, but badass. Yeah. Like, very fast-paced, very, like, you know, good character actors, you know. David, what's his name? Uh, Patrick David Kelly. Is that his name? David Patrick Kelly. David Patrick Kelly with the Warriors yeah. come out to play. Just great. Yeah. Great movie start to finish. And I think it would play really good in that environment for sure. Yeah. No, so. I agree. I agree. Actually, I, I just read, um, I don't know, on some message board or something that um, someone said that if, if they were to remake the Warriors that Kristen Ritter from the Jessica Jones TV series would be a good mercy. And I thought it's actually the first actual hope I ever had for a Warriors remake because they've been threatening it for years. We don't need it. But I could see her. I could see her in that role. So it's like, okay, well, maybe maybe there's... I just can't see anyone playing Swan, but... Yeah. Or Can you dig it? <laughs> okay, so I also picked the Warriors. So, do, yeah, we can get rid of do, my do number 11 really quick. You know what? What? Keith David, baby. Could play who? Swan. Oh, Swan's a black guy. Or Swan's uh, Michael Beck. Swan, sorry, the the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Keith David. No. (laughs) (laughs) Too old. Suckers. He's too old. Okay, well, anyway. What did you pair Warriors with? Cyrus, you mean. Cyrus, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I paired the Warriors with Billy Jack. Nice. Because, again, I was kind of going, it is kind of more of the, like, macho-y. Yeah. But I was also kind of going for the anti-heroes, and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so it was like my anti-hero double feature, and and I was again like really trying hard to figure out who to what to pair Billy Jack with because that was another one that I thought would be great, and um, my first my first thought was Django, yeah. Um, but then I the '66 original, not yeah. The but Tarantino. then I was like, you know what? I just don't think that would work very well. And then I thought, you know what? The Warriors would probably go really well with Billy Jack. Um, just because they're uh, they're both about anti-heroes and they both are both like kind of a ass-kicking cool dudes. So. Billy, Tom Lachlan's pretty damn cool in Billy Jack. Yeah. Man. Like the funny thing is I know Josh is like he loves Billy Jack. Like I do. Love like Billy. loves Billy Jack. And I thought it was funny that like I remember I was uh, when I first started going out with my girlfriend, I was I was telling her like, oh, I've got this friend and he's like he's really into this movie called Billy Jack. I'm like, he's just really thinks it's like the coolest thing. She's like, my dad loves Billy Jack. He thinks it's like the greatest. I'm like, awesome. (laughs) I'm like, what man doesn't like Billy Jack? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. It's got so it's, it's just like, it's so classic now. It is. It really is. And, um, I think I'd probably play the, yeah, I probably play Billy Jack first. Yeah. Billy Jack's the longer movie. So yeah, I feel like a lot of these you want to get the longer movie out of the way first, and you want to have the more fast. And you, yeah, one. you want to have the yeah. more like fun, quirky movie or whatever after, so that people can like reinvigorate and be like have a lot of fun at the end of the night. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. Cool. Move on. Um, so because I'm kind of out of order, should I just do another one now? Yeah, do it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to do a biker themed one because you have four more, right? Three more? Three more. Okay. So I got four more. Okay. So I'll do a biker themed one. So, um, I thought we'd do easy rider paired with Satan Satis. <laughs> I've never seen easy rider. Really? Yeah. Dude. Okay. <laughs> I give you a hard time for the burning, but you never seen yeah, Easy Rider. You know, it's know. always the burning, and then I find out these like humongous I, I gaps. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. How do you never see Easy Rider? Hey, if it's any consolation, born to be wild. <laughs> but it's like I haven't seen the birdie. Whoopie shit! You haven't seen fucking Easy Rider. <laughs> it's like one of the most important movies in American M- cinema. Maybe the burning's a very important movie to me. <laughs> anyway, anyhow, anyway, Satis so- really? Al Adamson? Yeah. Wow. Well, I was trying to go with again, Wild Angels and Easy Rider. I could see. I thought Wild Angels was a little or boring. Pink Angels. No, I know that's a different. Wild one. Angels, I thought was a little boring. Satan Satis is pretty. It's, it's Satan Satis feels like a driving movie, right? You know, it's 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 just you know, Russ Hamblin plays the lead bad guy, and he I can't remember a his, lot of biker movies. Yeah, I can't remember his name. And uh, John Bud Cardos, director of Kingdom of the Spiders, yep. plays the like Native American biker, and uh, it, it's just it's just such a like. It just it that's its total drive-in movie. I gotta say that the bud is in quotations. It is. Bud. It is. But I thought we'd open with Easy Rider just because it is. You know, it's again, it's got great music, and I just because I don't really remember drive-ins, I don't know if music really matters. But I guess I'm just kind of picturing like those speakers, so if you can yeah. kind of hear, you know, what was going on. Now, Easy Rider does get a little, you know, existential at some points. Um, but it's still a pretty fairly standard plot, you know, and it's a road movie. And I think it would play really well on a really big screen like that. And then follow it up by Satan Status, which is a total driving movie. And I don't know, just two sides of bikers. But, um, yeah, I think that would be a fun one. Even Easy Ride is a bit of a downer, but still, I, I, th- I thought it would be a good, a good pairing. Are you sure you don't want to pair it with Easy Rider 2? <laughs> <laughs> That, you know, I, I like pretend that doesn't exist. Yeah, a lot, I think almost everybody pretends like, it doesn't. I'm like exist. like Showgirls too, which I gave a shot. Easy Rider too. Like I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna pretend I don't even know. No, about no that. point. <laughs> um, my next double feature is themed, okay. simply because they're both Rutger Hauer movies. All right. So the first movie is a fairly obscure one. These are both from 1989. The first one is called The Blood of Heroes. <laughs> which I believe I've talked about on the post-apocalyptic episode briefly. Oh, yeah, I think you did. About uh, this uh, futuristic sport where they try and put a dog skull on a spike Yeah, while they're kind of like beating on each other. I forgot about that. i got to find that shit. Yeah, it stars Rutger Hauer and Joan Chen. Yeah. It's directed by, written and directed by David Peoples, who this is the only movie he's ever directed. It's a very gritty, violent is that out on Amazon or anything? It's on DVD. Okay. And it's gritty and violent. But the reason it's interesting is that, you know, Rucker Hauer has like, he's missing one of his eyes. So he's got like this thing over his eye. He's really cool in this. It's a dirty movie. It's post-apocalyptic. David Peoples was the writer of 12 Monkeys. He was uh, 
Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, Blade Runner, and Leviathan. Right. And this is the only movie he wrote and directed. So it's an interesting choice, and it's one of the more... I don't know. I feel like I would love this movie now even more than I liked it when I was when I was younger because it just has such a cool premise. Right. So there's that one. So it's kind of a downer movie because it's bleak and dark and stuff. Like, it's got a lot of violence and action, so it's, you know, appealing. But we're going to follow this up with Blind Fury, <laughs> which I've talked about in the past also. Yeah. I fucking love Blind Fury. Right. You know, it's, it's Zatochi redone where he's a, you know, Rutger Hauer plays a blind swordsman. Basically, he's a Vietnam vet who learns to use a sword from some natives, like native Vietnam, Vietnamese people. And he comes back to America and has to take on like a really bad dude. And uh, his henchmen are played by like Randall Tex Cobb, who's like this big dude with a beard who you'll see in a lot of 80s movies. He was like in Ace Ventura and Big Top Pee Wee and all these other movies. Um, And Shokazugi's in it. Okay. Any movie with Shokazugi instantly gets a pass from me. Is Shokazugi the bad guy? He's the ninja guy the bad guy hires to take out Rutger Hauer. And they have this really fucking sweet sword fight at the near the end involving like a hot tub and shit. It's really good. Shokazugi was in uh, Enter... Uh, what was he in? Revenge of the Ninja and Ninja 3 and all that. Enter in the, the Ninja, 80s. yeah. And uh, Pray for Death. Yeah. So he, he was like, he's so cool. Yeah. And uh, paired with Orker Hauer, that's double cool. <laughs> and uh, it was directed by Philip Noyce, who actually made this really um, good movie the year before called Dead Calm, which okay. was like an Australian thriller set on a on a boat with like Sam Neill and Billy Zane and right. Nicole Kidman. And then he went on to make like Clear and Present Danger and all those kind of movies. So this okay. was kind of like his first Hollywood movie. Right. I love Blind Fury. Nice. So I wanted to pair it up with another Rutger movie, but I didn't want to do like an obvious one. And huh. I and I I really have a desire to see Blood of Heroes again, so I thought that would be a good uh a good one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we're getting down to it. Yep, two more for me. Okay. Well, my next one is a really kind of fun one. Um and again, kind of going with the music and fun angle. Um, I thought I'd go with Car Wash. At the Car Wash. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Paired with Roller Boogie. Nice. So, um, yeah, and again, just for the, yeah, this is not nearly. Car Wash with Cooley High? Uh, Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to go black on this one. That's true. Okay. I didn't want to go black. So, um. But once you go black, you never go black, baby. I just, I just wanted to do a couple of fun, um, comedies. Because yep. uh, I, I don't have a lot of comedy on my list. Um, well, I only had two. So. Do I have any? Well, technically three. Oh, I know, um, Hollywood Boulevard is sort of a comedy. Yeah. Um, but this is, yeah. So I just wanted to have a couple of comedies that were of the era. Um, yeah. So, I, again, just more because of the music and the tone here. But um, that's about it. Car Wash is a fun movie, as is Roller Buggy, So Car Wash is a fun movie. And, unfortunately, the... I think it was Beyonce did a fucking version of that song for that stupid Shark's Tale movie. And I forgot to mention in the uh, covers episode that I hate it. She does a cover of Car Wash? Yeah. No way. Yeah, and that movie, A Shark's Tale, that Will Smith animated movie, because he works at a car wash. He's a shark. Yeah, but he works at an undersea car wash. 
It's under the fucking sea. What are they washing? I don't know. He God works damn, in a park. I hate shit like that. <laughs> They're under the goddamn ocean. <laughs> you can't fucking wash anything. Everything's already clean, baby. Jesus Christ. At the car wash. I'm pretty sure it was Beyonce or like Christina Aguilera or someone did a remake and it was terrible. Um, okay. My next. I'm fuming. <laughs> My next pairing is for the youngins. So oh, God. for those people who take <laughs> their kids to the drive in to like be a babysitter or whatever, um, I paired up two early, like late seventies or early eighties family movies that I thought are a lot of fun. The first part of this double feature is a movie called Condor Man. Okay. From, from 1981 from Disney starring a uh, Michael Crawford as a cartoonist who makes this character called Condor Man and ends up becoming Condor yeah. Man to uh, protect, like protect people, and like help this uh, Russian guy kind of defect and stuff like that. It's got Barbara Carrera in it as the like love interest and stuff. I think it's a fun movie. I've got it on VHS. I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I remember I had a lot of fun with it when I was a kid. So that was just a warm up. That's like that's like being, hey kids, this is what superhero movies look like before they had CG. So there's that one. I'm sure kids today would be absolutely enthralled. I'm sure they wouldn't. <laughs> um, the second part of this double feature is a movie that Hanna-Barbera made. Hanna-Barbera, you have to remember, also made Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park. Okay. That's not what this movie is, but this just gives you an idea of bad decisions Hanna-Barbera made. It's a 1979 movie called Chomps. All right. C-H-O-M-P-S. That's a good fucking movie. What's it called? Chomps. Canine Home Protect- Protection System or something like that. Yeah. I, I think that's what it like stands that. for. It's a robot dog. Yeah, it's a robot dog. Wesley Gro- Wesley Gurr. I think it's Gurry. Can't pronounce his name. I, I don't know. Plays the scientist who creates Chomps. Valerie Bertinelli's like his girlfriend. Bad guys show up. Chomps takes them on. I don't remember a ton about this movie. <laughs> I, I just recently bought it on DVD, so I'm going to rewatch it. How are you picking these movies? What do you mean? You don't even remember them. I remember enough of it. <laughs> I remember there's a there's a dog from the neighborhood who's like a, a black dog, and you hear their inner monologues, and he's got like a friggin' southern he's black like, man accent. He's like, he's like, man, that damn, damn chomps coming over here. It's like, it's just, it's a movie with bad decisions aimed at kids. And, you know, the robot dog was kind of cool because he busts through a brick wall and stuff yeah, like that yeah. in the movie and everything. Good, so, I love that movie. So, yeah, I just thought it'd be fun to watch. Like, Chops. It would be like one of those early drive-in matinees. Like, if you did it in the winter when it gets dark at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. Yeah. Send the kitties to bed with some, like, you know, flying comic book cartoonist and a, a robot dog. Nice. Why not? Nice. It's a better Hanna-Barbera movie than Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park. Let's put it that way. I like Kiss Me's Fountain Park. No, you don't. I do. <laughs> I do. Nobody likes it because it's a good movie. Okay. My next choice. Smokey and the Bandit. Yep. With Gone in 60 Seconds. Okay. That order? Yep. Hmm. Okay. I probably would have reversed it myself, but okay. Gone in 60 seconds is way more fast-paced than Smokey and the Bat. Is it? Yeah, well, I guess because it's like an hour and a half of car crashes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that would be my choice. I just wanted some cars, and I wanted some Burt. So 
Bert and Cars. And I didn't want to do a Bert double feature. You didn't want Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball Run. No. I thought were... about it. I did think about Cannonball Run quite yeah. hard, but no. Yeah. No, I decided to go with another, a different car movie. But And I thought of a bunch of other car movies. I thought about doing like The Driver or, or Vanishing Point or something. But um, but I, I just felt like this would be like a fun tone. I feel like a lot of, for a lot of people though, when they think of Burt Reynolds in that era, they think of Smokey and the Bandit yeah. anyway. So it's good choice. Good choice. Yeah. Smoking the band in, in like very like for sure, and they gone in sixty seconds. Like, yeah, like I said, I was trying to pair it with another car. Well, let's let's just make it clear to people, just in case they're unaware. Josh is not talking about the Nicolas Cage Gone in sixty seconds. No. <laughs> He's talking about the HB Halaki nineteen seventies Gone in sixty yes. seconds. Yes, HB Halaki was this um, car nut. Yeah. Who also was like a stunt. I believe he was a stunt man by yeah. trade. And he decided he wanted to make these movies. And his movies were basically just... Okay, you've seen Hal Needham movies. You know he likes his car stunts, but he also has a plot and comedy. None of that shit exists in H.P. <laughs> Halaki movies. H.P. Yeah. Halaki movies are, I'm in a car. I'm being chased. There's crashes. Movie over. But no he's plot. in the movies, I believe. And he's pretty likable. Yeah, but there's no plot in his movies. No. Well, it's the like, junk man had a little more. It's it's totally just him <laughs> destroying as many cars as he humanly can, and it, that's why they're fun. It's a if lot you're of action. That stuff. If you're into car stuff, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, I can see it. It's good. I wanted to see some cars on the big screen. And you just was, want to see shit cars that's, blow that's up. That's what I came up with. <laughs> okay, so my final selection of the night is uh, I decided to uh, go for like two movies that I thought were just like. Totally personified the 80s for me. Okay. The first movie is Runaway from 1984 with Tom Selleck. Uh, it feels by, like a theater movie. I think it would play okay on the big screen, okay. on the drive-in. Um, I've talked about it in the Killer Robots episode a little love bit. Runaway, man. Huh? I love Runaway. Yeah, Runaway is a great movie. It's like about like a future where Tom Selleck plays like a robot retrieval police officer and uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss is like the bad guy and he has these like robots that are like spiders that inject people and stuff and I just think it's a an interesting look at a future yeah that hasn't quite happened but I could still possibly see happening like Michael Crichton was had all these kind of like futuristic like looking movies like um Westworld and and things like that Andromeda Strain yeah and Andromeda yeah. Strain he always had these like what if looks at the future and runaways the less successful of these like the probably on the lower scale of being a known movie but i really love runaway i think it's a fun movie and i think it's uh what studio is that do you know uh columbia tristar so is it right for the scream factory pickens i hope so because Runaways is a sweet movie yeah i'm surprised that this hasn't been redone it just Seems like one hey, of if Blue Thunder can get out on Blu-ray, <laughs> Runaway can get out on Blu-ray. Okay, um, and I paired it with another Gene Simmons movie, <laughs> and this is the most insane movie probably of the night for me that I picked. It's a 1986 movie called Never Too Young to Die. Yeah. Now, over the years, this movie has garnered a cult following. Yeah. When I saw it on VHS in 1987. Nobody knew what this movie was. It stars John Stamos, Vanity, Gene Simmons. Uh, 
State John Stamos, this is before Full House. He plays a guy called Stargrove. In the opening scene of the movie, we see him on a trampoline while this song in the background's like Stargrove, flying like he'd never flown. Okay, so I'm sold. Any movie that starts with people on trampolines or doing gymnastics, like I said with Fatal Games, with a like montage type inspiring like you're a winner song, I'm down with. <laughs> but this is like a James Bond spoof where the villain is Gene Simmons as a hermaphrodite. Yeah. Dressed in drag, trying to poison <laughs> the Los Angeles water supply. <laughs> Such a weird movie. John man. Stamos <laughs> teams up with this super hot spy chick played by Vanity. They have scenes where they spin around on this fake walls with machine guns shooting people. And it, it, it's just an insane movie. You have to see it to believe it. It's yeah. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. I wish this movie was on something other than VHS. Yeah, I know. I have and, the VHS. Uh, <laughs> I'd just like to take a minute here, since I'm talking about Vanity, to just acknowledge her passing away. Yeah. Sad, uh, sad story. Sad story. She had a rough rough go of it at the end of her life there, and uh, hopefully she's in a better place now Yeah, where uh, all that will go away. Yeah. So just a quick shout out to that, because I thought it needed to be acknowledged. But uh, yeah, that's my last pairing. All right. Well, my final pairing is some badass chicks. Badass chicks. So I thought we'd start it off with Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Oh, yeah. Badass big boob chicks. And wrap it up with Switchblade Sisters. Oh, yeah. Some yeah. Jack Hill goodness. So, um, yeah. And again, just... Um, I, I, again, I was Faster Pussycat was kind of a no-brainer for me. Just seems like a movie that should be on a drive-in screen. Yep. And Switchblade Sisters um, is just—it's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, we've we've acknowledged Switchblade Sisters many yeah, times in the feels past. Feels like maybe a little more of a movie of a movie theater movie, but at the same time, like I had sort of thought about putting Switchblade Sisters with Satan Sadist, and then I thought about maybe Switchblade Sisters should be with the Warriors. <laughs> so I knew I had to have Switchblade Sisters right. somewhere on here, and then I was like, okay, well, it would go well with Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. So, and Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is like a Russ Meyer movie about three, three, um, yeah, basically badass chicks that are driving around in the desert and fucking shit up. So, you know what I think would be an actual pretty good pairing with Faster Pussycat with a Russ Meyer's movie? An Andy Sedaris movie. Oh, that's a good idea. Like Malibu Express or Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Maybe Hard Ticket to Hawaii because it's got that crazy scene with like the snake. They just all kind of run together for they, me. They the kind of do. But, movies. but I feel like... I always and, think of Dallas Connection as probably my favorite. I was, Well, and he didn't even do that. That was his son. Didn't he? His son directed that. Okay, well, that's that's the one I remember with Julie Strain and Julie I just Smith feel like... And, uh, like a lot of like the Sedaris movies are like a spiritual successor to the Russ Meyer movie, sort of. Sort of, because yeah. it's like you know. Action. No, no, I can't agree with that. No, but like you know what I mean. <laughs> just, just in the sense that it's action chicks with like big boobs, kind of, you know. In a way, yeah, like very loose spiritual successor. Very, very, very loose. loose. I mean, I thought the the women in Russ Meyer movies were always pretty strong, and well, you know, I, and uh, Sedaris movies. I don't know. I just. Hence, I said very loose. Yeah, very, so. very loose. Okay. But, I mean, I could kind of see that. I just don't know how a Sedaris movie... Yeah, I'm sticking with my guns here. I mean... No, I'm not saying change it. I'm and just I'm saying... not sure which order these should go in, because Faster Pussycat is 
pretty is a lot more cinematic. That's kind of what I'm struggling with. Yeah, Switchblade Sisters is a little more like smaller locations, whereas Fast Pursuit gets like on the road in black and white, looking great. So um, I don't know what order, but both of them have to be on here somewhere. So. I'd probably go with the Russ Meyer second. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's our. Uh, Choices for some drive-in double features, and even if they're not at the drive-in, they might be some fun at-home double features. Yeah, so at-home check home double out. features. I, I think I think that's a a good batch of movies that uh, we picked there. I'm surp- yeah. I'm surprised we only had one duplicate. That's crazy. Was it only? Was it, it was only, only warriors? the warriors? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So that's that just shows you like um, our mindsets were probably we were similar mindsets, but in a different way. Yeah, because like I had considered black exploitation too, but then I was like, "Oh, Josh will do that for sure." And then uh, I had considered Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, but I was like, because I was originally was like, I got to do like a double feature of some fifties monster movies. I'm like, Creature from the Black Lagoon and what? And mm. I just couldn't find the perfect pairing, so I decided that's when I decided to go with Reefer Madness and and Plan Nine. Right. So uh, yeah. I think that was fun. I, I enjoyed picking out mine because it made me think about a little bit more about um, what would go good together. And like, it's like your peanut butter and jelly in your sandwich. I know. It makes me want to op- open a drive-in and have a complete business failure. Yeah. Total business failure. <laughs> but at least I'd have fun watching cool movies. Yeah. So that's our double features. Hopefully uh, you guys will uh, check some of those out. And yeah. uh, if you do, let us know. And uh, if you have your own double feature suggestions... You can hit us up on the uh, web at www.thevideograveyard.com slash gbwpodcast. And uh, we haven't said this for a little while, but uh, we'd really love it if uh, you guys let us know what you like, what you don't like. Give us some feedback. Hit uh, hit up some iTunes. Give us some ratings and reviews. And uh, just let us know what that what we're doing yeah, give is us some ratings. It feels better when yeah. we get some feedback. Let us know that know what we're doing on. is worthwhile and that you're a dig in it. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Otherwise let's uh, go out to the lobby and get ourselves a treat. We're watching Hooper, man. We're going to watch Hooper with <laughs> Burt Reynolds, man. <laughs> so, right. you know, stunts. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Good night. I'm Chris. That's Josh. <laughs> we'll see you later.